You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. So, I have a question. Have you ever wanted to get into comics, but you just didn't know where to start? Well, welcome to Comics Quest. I'm JD Martin, and every week I sit down with a guest to talk a comic that I think anybody can pick up and start their comics reading journey. We take a look at psychedelic sci-fi, fantastical action, heart-wrenching love stories, and of course, superheroes. So check us out at certainpov.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome, everybody, to We Have Issues, Geek Elite Media show that's about everything literary. Books, comic books, web comics, manga, and everything else you might be reading, we're here to talk about it. As always, I'm your host, Keith, and I'm joined by my stalwart sidekick, who's always at my side, Hosway. Hello! Man, I'm so excited for this episode. I know, we have a lot to talk about, and some, <laughs> some really great surprises, some really great crossovers, there's a lot going on right the now. The party so. we're at... <laughs> Yeah, the party that we got invitations to. Oh, I forgot to send you your invitation. Oh, Don't worry, you'll get it soon. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we're going to talk about all the uh, comics of this week, which is mm. the week of release of June the 2nd, 2021 for Marvel and all indies, and of course the day before for DC. So, And hey, Keith. Yo. And happy Pride. Oh, and happy Pride, everybody. <laughs> Fuck yes. No matter what you are, whatever you whatever you are, whether you be lesbian, gay, bi, trans, anywhere in between, whatever you feel you are, you are valid and loved and we are amongst you and your allies. You are seen here at We Have Issues. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, so yes, you, you won't see a rainbow uh, logo from us because neither of us are very good at designing logos. Um <laughs> But I mean, I, anyone who knows us knows where we stand on this situation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't need that. But shout out to Geek Elite Media for putting out a really nice uh, r- rainbow logo um, for the whole channel. We we as as members of the LGBT community, we appreciated seeing that. And we appreciate the fact they asked us ahead of time. Hey, we don't want to seem like just one of those organizations doing it to get attention. What do you think? And we said no. We appreciate it that people know they can come to us. We're not selling anything. You know what I mean? So. It's not like it's a can of Coke. <laughs> yeah. So I'm fine with that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for that. I'm glad you brought it up. I totally <laughs> forgot. Um, now we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit about some comic book news. And uh, the first one I want to talk about is Dark Horse Comics. Real quick headline. Have announced they've opened a games and digital division called Dark Horse Games. Interesting. The label's going to partner with various developers to create own titles based on their library of IPs. According to the announcement, that's going to include, but is not limited to, Hellboy, yeah. Sin City, 300, Umbrella Academy, Polar, Lady Killer, Emily the Strange, Usagi Yojimbo, oh my God. and Resident Alien. Now, a lot of those sound exciting. I want to Usagi Yojimbo, side-scrolling beat him up like Dungeons and Dragons, or I mean, not Dungeons and Dragons, um, Double Dragon style, Ooh. Scott Pilgrim style. Yeah. That would be so much fun. That'd be, hella fun. <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. Um, but yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, obviously, a Hellboy game would be great. Um, 
I think 300 would be cool as kind of like a strategy game, maybe. Like a Dynasty Warriors. Yeah. I think Sin City, they should give to Telltale. And let them do a, oh, like a, a Telltale-style Sin City story. Tell your own tales in the city, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, cause, like the Walking Dead games and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Wolf Among Us, you know, is a right. good comparison. So I think that'd be a lot of fun. So, yeah, it sounds like like it'd be a blast what it's an interesting think? take on fuck yeah no, I'd, I'd be down to play a bunch of more comic book video games because even yes. like there aren't that many i'm trying to think of some stuff besides the batmans on the marvel on the yeah and the marvels games you know spawn had a pretty good game okay yeah um, other than that i'm trying to think of just like anything outside of the big two that are like they came from comics and video games i mean you're obviously the walking dead but that's not right but yeah something bigger show. than that <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited for this yeah. it's gonna be interesting takes yeah definitely so um it also includes uh partnership not just with games though it, they're looking forward to active discussions around um other kind of content like anime or webtoons potentially Ooh. So well, Dark Horse does have like that like connection or like the partnership with a bunch of manga. Like, like yep, it's like translating exactly. them over. So yeah, looking back at that list, Umbrella Academy manga. Fuck yeah. Oh, nice. I'd re- I would read that. <laughs> so yeah, that's really cool. Now, uh the other big news that we're here to talk about is Marvel announced plans for two new series. So we're gonna start with one of them, Josue, <laughs> and then we'll reveal the other. Marvel has announced its new plans for the Hulk. So currently, Al Ewing and Joe Bennett are on Immortal Hulk, and mm-hmm. it's great. Everybody loves it. Josue loves it. Yes. I don't read it, unfortunately. It's I don't supposed to end 50. Yeah. So when it does, the new writer will be Donnie Cates. <laughs> oh, my God, Donnie, dude. Donnie Cates is coming off of Venom right now. Yes, he is. A, a legendary run of Venom, we could say. Yeah. And, and also Thor, um, which is better in my opinion but (laughs) so uh, and it's going to be drawn by ryan otley so what do you what do you think about this announcement i'm just like oh my god it's just gonna be awesome like oh my god the balls on the man to just like take over after al ewing and i love that that's been like almost like a running joke it's just like i fear for the next person who writes hulk after al ewing because it's just like how do you step it up from here and Damn, that's how <laughs> my fucking bad boy Donny Cates is just stepping up to the plate. Like, I'm so excited. Like, this is a, such a fresh writer in Marvel, and he's just been giving us nothing but gold. <laughs> right, book, book after book after book is just it just wins. Like, it's like, oh my god, I just realized another thing that they had set up together too. But I will talk about <laughs> it in a second. But this is just awesome. And then going to the other side, Ryan, Ryan, uh, yeah, Ryan Otley, um, who I was it's been like the thing I've been hurting for the most. Cause it was like first promised that uh, Nick Spencer over on amazing Spider-Man with Ryan Notley, but it's Ryan Notley just sporadically coming here and there. And now yeah. this should, he, he, I hope he's just stuck or at least like set in the chair to be in an ongoing series at, at Marvel. Cause again, I got, I have, haven't read invincible, but I, I want my Ryan, Ryan Otley book too. I think his sporadic appearances in uh, Spider-Man might be related to the Invincible cartoon. Ooh, okay. I think that they makes needed sense. him to to like assist and you know advise. Mm-hmm. So I think that was part of it. Yeah. But now that they're on their own and now they're going to season two, I don't think he really needs to do it as much. So I think we're in a little, a little more stability from him. So yeah, at the very least, at least, or at least right now, just stay on Hulk because now I just want nothing. To, I want to see nothing but him doing Hulk. 
yeah. it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. And then what? What do you promise? Johnny Cage just th- throwing out bullshit words like Hulkstronaut, and so that's the little tease. <laughs> <laughs> I I would never be surprised by him at this point. So, um, so of course that means Johnny Cage is leaving Venom. Yeah. And that leaves a hole in Venom. And yeah, Marvel has announced who's taking over Venom, and it's Al Ewing. It's Al fucking Ewing! <laughs> <laughs> they're, just, they're just trading books, these sons of bitches. <laughs> and this is so cool, because it just feels so worth it, just being a Venom fan. Like a like a true Venom fan, not just like an edgelord Venom fan, where like I actually have purchased the books yeah. for the last five plus years, and trying to keep this book alive. Because God damn it, it did it suck when it ended on technically uh, Rick Remender's run in, and then Colin Bunn took over and it can't, it got canceled there. They threw him up in space with the Guardians. Um, and that's where Costa, I can't remember his first name, but then that's, and then entered Donny Cates and then having his legendary run. And I'm not saying there's, there wasn't, there weren't stakes because holy shit, King and Black and the whole thing with Noel. Enter Al Ewing, and it's going to be nothing but stakes. And this is going to be really cool. It's like, who better to tell this great fucking story? And these la- the, the last history of the, la- of the four writers I just mentioned, than Al Ewing, who just loves doing space bullshit. And, <laughs> and all these writers were the ones that set up the whole Clintar planet. But then we, Donny Cates kind of threw it over, like fl- flop it around, flip it around that it was a prison instead. The, the word was cage instead. But there mm-hmm. was still the whole thing that the ones that turned good post Noel were kind of like these gar- like lanterns kind of protecting the cosmos. So, and then now we have like, god symbiote eddie brock coming back to coming back home into space or throwing the symbiote back into space oh my god it's just gonna be fucking awesome and not only that it's fucking rom b with them it's yes, just, that, oh my god i was gonna say is he's gonna co-write with rom v who we love i fucking so. love the man and then to just add the horror aspect to this and then and then the last part being david finch david finch is awesome. oh no sorry Hitch, no, uh, Hitch, brian brian Hitch. Hitch. <laughs> uh brian Hitch, who is honestly is just I think I know him mostly for just doing these really good, like close space up shots and then just like a bunch of backgrounds, but Venom has no face. So just to see him just go all out on like a whole take on Venom. Oh man, I'm just so goddamn excited. Yeah. So with along with Brian Hitch, cause this is the one that kind of jumped out at me. Cause obviously I love both the writers, but yeah, uh, Brian Hitch, arguably it's probably safest to say he's most well known for the ultimates, which was, is a controversial run of comics because of who wrote it. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing wrong with the art. In fact, there's several panels of that art I can see in my head right now. <laughs> and you said the ultimate close-ups, you know, the whole, like, Captain America, you think this letter stands for France? Yeah. You know? And then, like, Thor, when he's got the hammer for the for the first time and the lightning going around. And I can, <laughs> I can... If there was anything the Ultimates did really good, it was established very great visuals. So I'm excited. Yeah. No, for I'm really sure. excited to see where this goes. So... And then yeah. uh, the thing I, uh, that came to me that this isn't the first time that this happened. It's um, Donny Cates was also writing Guardians of the Galaxy before Al Ewing took over. <laughs> That's funny. And they're they're like trash talkers, so I could see them being like, <laughs> like trying to outdo each other and stuff for fun. Like, just, like at the same time, like these last two moves from both books, respectively, were just how do you top these? And it's like, these are just such great writers to just step up to the plate and just see what, what they can dish out. And just not to say like this next one's going to be better, but it's just like, how can they actually step up to the plate and fuck, these are going to be great fucking books. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. So every other bit of news I has, I have is related to one of the books we're going to talk about later. So we'll talk about it then. Cool. Let's launch straight into our books. And we're going to start as always, not with a bang, 
Bada boom. Boom Studios. It was me and Jose were talking. It's a strange week for Boom <laughs> because usually I'm used to picking up two to three Boom books. I got one Boom book, and so did Josue, and it's the same one. Yeah, and it's a number one, so don't look for any of the usual suspects this week. <laughs> um, number one, Basilisk. Yeah. So we're gonna run down the creative team first because uh, this is the number one. We're probably gonna talk about a little bit uh, more than we normally would. Uh, first of all, we have it written by Cullen Bunn. Drawn by Jonas Scharf, colored by Alex Guimaraes, and lettered by Ed Dukeshire. So, with the name Basilisk, there's a certain connotation to that. Uh, you know, fan- the fantasy monster uses, you know, sight to damage or turn people into stone, or depending on your different version of it. Um, and I definitely think that plays into the story. Hosway, I know you were particularly vocal about this book on Twitter. So, what do you think? Um, I was just like, really impressed by this first issue i just i really dug it there's just like this like if there's a creep uh, a creep uh, factor into it i'm probably really gonna like it and the story the way it's just being told and like all the elements being played out i was just like it was just like it's like the word i, I just kept throwing around around was impressionable like other other mm-hmm. other issues are just like oh no it was, a, it was a solid first issue but it usually follows up with but we'll see how it goes uh, we'll, yeah. I'll, I'll see for the next issue but even still, like this one, it's like I'm definitely gonna come back for more. I want to know more. But that's what it was. It, it gave me the the need of of to want to know more, you know. And yeah, I don't know. The, the characters were all interesting. I love that. Just like I love that there isn't a male protagonist in this one. If anything, I'm so we're so much far away from it. Neither of them. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I thought it was a good hook. I thought there was we saw just enough mm-hmm. of what happened. That then later when they refer to it, we know what they're talking about without them telling us the whole story. Yes. Um, so to sell this on new readers, um, this is a story where there was an attack in a small town by people that kind of came out of nowhere and their sight and their touch. Yeah, I think there might be it could be different senses depending on them. Yeah. Uh, harm people. Mm hmm. And uh, we have a, a young woman as our main character who is trying to hunt down these creatures that damage this town because it hurt, it, it killed her family, presumably. So um, she finds one who's wearing a veil over her eyes so that you, you, know, you can't see her eyes. She's not hurting anybody. Uh, she attempts to take her in, but they get attacked. The, the veiled woman attacks them. Uh, the, the one's attacking them, takes them out. And are we going to get some kind of uneasy alliance? Not sure. It kind of cut off right there. Um, She did say, I'm going to help you stop the others, which is the other people like her. Yeah. The presumption is that they're out of control. They don't really have control of themselves. And she does. So, and then it cuts to what presumably are going to be the antagonists of the series. And I'll be frank. I, I did like the book a lot, but this page hooked me. Yeah, it really came, it really came down to like to the hook, and even still, then like as they kept presenting stuff to you, it wasn't just like, well, we gotta wait till the next issue, maybe two issues, and we'll we might answer this. It kept presenting stuff, and at the very least, answering them to to some degree. Like, why are these people shooting up? Like, like when they're just like together, the people like that come in to rescue the person with the veil over their head, over their eyes, and it's like, oh shit, they're there to worship her. And it's like, well, so what's that about? But for sure, now I can actually wait to find out more. But that was just enough. And then, yeah, we get to the hook at the end and it's just like presumably the antagonist. And you think it's just going to be the, like the ragtag of 
everybody's a villain, but then you just look at them individually and that's mm-hmm. really who they are. They all look like individual people. They're just like bound by this thing that they have together or whatever they want to call it. But yeah, these characters look very fucking interesting all by themselves. And it's, um, it reminds me of Far Cry 5, the shot. Okay. With with Father Joseph and his family. Yeah. That's the kind of thing I get. I think you're right about the senses, and I didn't really think about it. Um, because, let's say hers is sight. The one in the back, if you look, she has like a scarred up arm. Yeah. But she's the touch one. This one has flowers. I bet she's scent. Oh, it could be. Yeah. That makes sense. I didn't think about the scent part, but yeah. Yeah. Which would leave hearing, and I'm guessing the one with the raven, he's listening to the raven, would make sense. That would make sense. And what? what taste? Uh, yeah, taste is probably the sexy dude with the, the sexy dude yeah. with the handy handcuffs. Did you notice the handcuffs? I did. Yeah. So, no, all very distinct, very like distinct people, and just like our characters, and they're all just yeah. Like, yeah, I'm excited just to learn more. Cool. So again, like, hopefully again, we're like, not reading too much into that. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, looking forward to getting more of it. And again, Colin Bond, Jonas Sharp, I really like both of them anyway. So mm-hmm. it was an easy pickup. So. Moving on. Now we're going to talk about Aftershock Comics. Josue's got a book for us from Aftershock. Tell us about it. Yes. This was called Out of Body. <laughs> and this is written number by, one, right? Yes, the number one as well. Nice. Uh, this is written by Peter Milligan. Artist is uh, Inaki Miranda. Colors is Eva de la Cruz. Uh, lettering is by Sal Cipriano. I'm also very interested in this book. Again, I could... A, a good start to a book, but it left it left me with like I'll, I'll have to see where how the story picks up after this one. Um, but it's still very good. I, again, the the main reason why I was gravitated towards this book is because yes, I am a crazy psycho person who does believe and claim to have such an experience as an out of body experience, and that's what this book is about. Um, there are a couple of factors going on. There's a medium who's like who's legit can actually talk to ghosts, and she kind of runs a business. <laughs> there's a there's a, a neighbor kind of it was basically a farmer basically plays like ten dollars to use her to contact a relative of his to help him out with like his farm and how to maintain it uh, so i thought that was a pretty good joke uh but then she gets like caught off guard or just kept like her attention just goes somewhere else and she fe- she kind of feels that there's like an, an anomaly in the astral plane and then we cut to where the story is probably gonna be more about and it's a guy that's kind of like catatonic or just he's in a coma um in a hospital he can still hear he can still see and like it's like the conversations conversations around but that's what it is this guy's supposed to be like a good guy but there's an investigation now on like what happened since they found him outside of a bar he was unconscious pretty much left for dead but somehow something is his fault mm-hmm. and so there's a, there's a detective kind of like trying to solve the case as well but meanwhile there's like he's trying to piece it together from the inside but he's just weirded out that everybody's just like just saying these weird things or instead of like being like they're coping him or just like trying to help him out. So he's just like, what the fuck? And so at some point he's having an affair and at some, and they start thinking like, Oh shit, it might be her. And his business is that they're doing these weird experiments with LSD and it might be something to do with that and why he might be in trouble. So at this point, when the lady is there, who's another scientist, um, that's why it's kind of a, nobody should find out about this affair. Um, She's thinking, he's thinking, oh shit, he, she's there to kill me so she can take everything. And then because she, she brings out a syringe, it's like, yo, it's some of the, it's the, it's the prototype that we've been concocting. (laughs) 
and it's like so it, it might work it might not work the the worst thing that can happen is that you have a bad high um but he starts thinking he's like oh shit it might be something else what if, what if it's poison and then he has the biggest fucking trip of his life so he's like okay cool at least he wasn't there to kill me but in doing so he starts reflecting on his life and then it triggers the out-of-body experience and he, he almost has like no control over it and it was a really cool shot and it was the part that was really kind of getting closer to home. And then it made me feel like with a much better sense of relief of <laughs> over my experience. Cause as he's freaking out and panicking, leaving his body and like losing his sense of, I mean, gravity, if you will, he, that's when he goes outside the building and he sees this, just a bunch Shit. of other spirits, just like also experiencing the same thing, if not already going. And this is where we come back to the medium and being like, Oh shit. Like, she's still kind of like keeping tabs on him. She can just sense him. But what she senses is that in this process, it's like when, a, when this whole thing that he, that he sees is basically a bunch of bodies leaving, like basically dying, going to their afterlife, but he didn't, which is where it made me feel good. Cause I didn't see this at all. <laughs> so I was like, okay, good. That made sense of why I came back or why I'm still here. And that's basically by that, what I just said, it's kind of like what she's, what she felt. And now she's like weirded out. It's like, well, why is he still here? And then, for the last bit, we cut to, this is the cliffhanger, this is the, mm. the last factor I skipped over. In the beginning, there's like this, like, I don't want to say sorcerer, but this other medium, and he's he has a boss that he calls Dorian, but we'll see what his last name is. Uh, but he's just like, beyond, he's like really fucked up looking. But anyway, and he's trying to get souls for the Dorian guy, and that's what happened here. Like, the, the, the scuba suit that you saw, the diving suit that you saw, um, it's like, a weird bodysuit to be able to suck souls um, so that he can like kind of present them for his master. So yeah, that's out of body. It's really weird, but it's really cool. And at least it's not as confusing as other books I've been reading lately. Cool. All right. Awesome. Now we're going to switch over to dark horse comics. We have so many dark horse books, probably our biggest <laughs> dark horse book ever, or dark horse week ever. Let's start with Hosue doing Jenny Zero, number Jenny, what, by the way? Jenny Zero, number two. Nice. Written by Dave Dwanch and Brockton McKenney, and illustrated by Magenta King, colored by Dom. Damn. This is a much better issue than the first issue. Um, we actually get like the backstory, or at least like, the origin take of uh, the events of like kind of everything that was kind of left in the air in the last issue, of like kind of what everything meant. Like, it's Jenny Zero, and her dad was Commander Zero. God, he, it's three names. It's something Commander Zero. Um, and basically, it, we get the story of, like, his last job. And before he jumped down to just kill the, the last big monster, he tells his sidekick to be like, hey, if anything, don't... I don't want my daughter, Jenny, in this life. I mainly just like keep her away from all of this. Cause like her powers hadn't really manifested. So it's kind of like, so just kind of take advantage of that. So it won't trigger the closer she is to everything. So, and then you get the, the heroic, like he falls off the, off the plane. And as he's triggering in his uh, tokusatsu form, you just, uh, you just see how he kind of goes. You don't get the details, but basically as he skydives or basically halo jumps, and just plummets like a fucking missile and just keeps growing and growing and growing until it's just this giant, a bigger mass than the alien thing to just squish and squish and just splat. It's like, ah, oh, well, that's the ultimate sacrifice. <laughs> that sucks. 
So we yeah. come back to the present uh, to Jenny, and she's trying to figure out what the fuck's happening because, again, nothing, something that never happened to her belief it shouldn't have happened. So now what? So, but at the same time, she's in the middle of a fight. She's able to conquer it with uh, Nemo, the her fish companion. But now that she's super big, it just attaches to the, her finger point and uses it as, use it as a gun. It's pretty cool. Uh, but and then it cuts to her origin take, and pretty much like the 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 partner, her dad's partner, who he promised that she wouldn't, that she wouldn't be in the lifestyle, has pretty much been manipulating this whole game to still keep her around because like she was, she just couldn't transform this whole time, um, and now that she can, is like he's just gonna like use her for it. But at least we now know who the bad guy is, and at least you can transform. But yeah, Jenny Zero, a pretty good, a solid second issue. Nice. All right, I got a couple Dark Horse books I'm going to run through pretty quick. Uh, Beasts of Burden, number three. Uh, written by Evan Dorkin and Sarah Dyer. Art by Benjamin Dewey. Flatting by Jason Lusk. Lettering by Nate Pecos. Um, this is the one about the intelligent dogs that uh, are in the war zone. Uh, they're confronted by some other dogs. Um, and they're there's a whole bunch of them, right? And they all look exactly alike. You can see them right here. Oh, okay, yeah. So so they're attacking them and everything. And they find out, basically, the, the other dogs run right past them. And they realize the dogs aren't attacking them. They're attacking an Oni. Ooh, see. Yeah, here, I'll put it Down up. to the weapon, too. Oh, man. Yeah. So they end up attacking the Oni. And you find out that these dogs have powers. <laughs> One of them makes shadow copies of itself. And the other has Earth power. <laughs> so, um, so basically, it's a superhero team with dogs at this point, and I love it. Um, they're able to scare the Oni off, and they reveal that, hey, I'm Makoto, this is Yuna. And they're basically like, you know, we have powers, um, and we, we help protect this. And so they're like, hey, we, we're trying to stop the, 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 our main characters. Um, Mullins and Emrys are just like, hey, we're trying to stop the... Um, the plague that's turning people into zombies and they're just like well let's let's call together i think what do they call it the council or something like that um the the other creatures the count yeah it is the council it's other inhabitants of the mountain and they're sitting there they called them and they're just sitting there and they're like guess they're not coming and they're like no need we're here and then it introduces them all so we have Heihachi or Heichu and jiju representing the kitsune <laughs> I like that. We have uh, Dai Cho and Ryo, brothers of the Yamawaro clan. The, uh, I believe they're ogres. Or Ooh, nice Cyclops. Uh, we got Tanukis. Mm. We got Parched Saburo on behalf of the Kappa. <laughs> That's cool. Which we saw in the last one. Yeah. was a Kappa, but I don't know if it's the same one. And then we just have Yamabiko, who just gives a name. <laughs> and it's, if you can, I can't, there you go. See the lettering? Yeah. It's oh, done like shadow. Yeah, it's weird. And then we get um the uh the Tingu Mountain Clan, the um the Ravens. So basically like what's going on? And they they tell them they're like, that's none of our business, that's affecting humans. You guys can handle it, right? <laughs> basically. So um they get attacked and uh they're they're fighting them off and yeah, the the woman we saw from before uh with the um that was the that was in like the Geisha look that was like drinking blood. Uh, it seems like they're definitely involved, but they're probably not the ones doing this because they're not really smart enough to come up with that kind of thing. 
So they end up fighting them again. And the whole thing is you cannot get bitten by one of these head zombies. That's the key. And um, they fight them off. They, they're really brave and stuff. And then Mullins, who is the only dog who doesn't have a power, gets bitten on his leg. Oh, no. And they're trying to figure out because they haven't really seen how this affects dogs yet. They've only seen how it affects humans. Mm-hmm. And they're like trying to slow it down. And Emrys is like... I shouldn't have brought you Mullins. He's like, it's not your fault. You gave me a name because he, he made Mullins intelligent. Okay. He gave him like consciousness like yeah. him. And he named him Mullins. He's like, you gave me a name. He's like, worst comes to worst. The black dog shall give me a name too. My real name. And then he goes unconscious, hopefully not dead. Oh. And they just surround the body. And I'm like, fuck. What the, but the cover? The next cover looks sick. So. Uh, oh, damn. Yeah. A lot going yeah. on. That's really so, cool. Uh, there's two issues left in the series. Really enjoying it. It is not the first Beast of Burden series. Or there's others, so uh, feel free to check it out if that's something you're interested in. Next up, the Orville number two for <laughs> Digressions, part two of two. Uh, written by David Goodman, art by David Cabeza, color by Michael Tay, and lettering by Richard Starkings and Jimmy Betancourt. Um, this is the second part of the the What If universe that was featured at the end of last season. Uh, and kind of what happened to that. So it does fill in the blanks between the first issue all the way up to the beginning of the first episode of that crossover. So um, really good. I really enjoyed it. I'm a huge Orville fan, and I cannot wait for the show to be back. So I'll take whatever Orville I can get at this point. So i uh, not going to go too deep into that one. Next up, Apex Legends Overtime, number one. This could just be a cheap video game like cash-in, but it's not. It's really good. Uh, written by Jesse Stern, penciled by... Oh, no, sorry. Written by Jesse Stern, Tom Cassiello, and Manny Hagopian. The two of them work for um, the the game company. So I think they're probably... Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, Pencils by Neil Edwards, inked by Keith Champagne. Amazing name. (laughs) Uh, Colored by Antonio Fabella, and lettered by Nate Picos. So this mostly revolves around uh, characters Mirage and... um, I mean, everybody Everybody makes an appearance. I want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, it's not just these two. But uh, yeah, it's mostly about Mirage and Crypto. And anyone who remembers the the animated short that that Crypto had when he came in, they basically immediately did not like each other and they were put on the same team. So it's like been like this rivalry. And it kind of takes up from that where Mirage is like, hey, we say each other, now we're best buds. And Crypto's like, no, we're not. We're not friends, like <laughs> at all. And so it's just, it's just kind of fun. And in the end, um, one of the bad guys, Revenant, shows up. He takes Crypto, holds him. He's like, th- he's basically they're trying to get this briefcase, and he grabs him and he's like, "I'll trade you for your friend." And Mirage, who is a bastard, by the way, <laughs> uh, says, "I don't have any friends," and just jumps off the roof with the briefcase. Ooh. Yeah. So that's where it wraps up. I really like this. Uh, I love crypto. He's he's the token hot Asian guy in this series. <laughs> uh, so and I really like playing him quite a bit. Um, he's one of my favorite. Like he's not really a popular character to play because I guess he's not really high on the tier list. But I actually really like playing him. He's fun. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, and you get to see a lot of cool references to the games, and then also things that I hope they add to the game, like little abilities. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I like that idea. So, yep, really enjoyed that. All right. Dark Horse comic number five and the final one. And it's the final one today and the final one of this series. Dead Dog Vite number four. God. Okay. Okay. (laughs) 
It's easy to do the credits. Tyler Boss, done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler Boss did everything. Oh, man. This is... W- you know that saying, like, writing about music is like dancing about architecture? Ooh, okay. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. Yeah. Right, like, trying to explain this comic feels like dancing about architecture. It's like, how do I, how do I even start? Like, <laughs> it's, it's so good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, whenever I have trouble formulating exactly what I want to say, I always want to start with telling you guys whether I liked it or not. And I really enjoyed this series. And it is only four issues. If nothing else, I highly recommend you read it for yourself. It did get so dark at the end. Oh, man. <laughs> like, yeah, incredibly dark. <laughs> but so good. And we, we talked about every issue. The structure of this comic is just beautiful. Like, so many pages of the traditional nine panels. Oh, my God. When, yeah, the reel. When it's went through the reels. Yeah. And then, like, just the natural, like, conversationalism of it all. Like, like this, this, this spread, right? Yeah. This is just a conversation. And it reads so well because it's got nine panels on each side. And it's almost... This comic... Okay. I've I've refrained I've tried to refrain from comparing this to things. I know I said Twin Peaks in the past. Yes. But if anything, this reminds me of, of a Coen Brothers movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because the way the Coen Brothers shoot, they're the masters of shot, reverse shot. That's how they shoot conversations. This person, this person, this person, this person. And no one does it better. And I think this book like just feels like a Coen Brothers movie, which is really a compliment to me. Like I hope, I hope the person listening, or the, or I hope Tyler isn't doesn't hate Fargo or something. <laughs> I'm assuming he doesn't because it seems like he has good taste. But the real problem with talking about this is we can't reveal too much. The reveals because it's yeah, the the plural, plural. <laughs> like it's. Like the thing that we thought was happening, or the thing with the whole notebook, the whole signing your name thing. If we've been we've yeah. talking about this book at least for three issues now. There's a whole name signing thing. That twist was just I, I didn't see that coming. Where it's like, or it's like, why didn't even, why didn't even consider of it possibly going that way as well? And it's like, oh man, like there's again, there's like a lot of reveals and a lot of things to connect together, and then because it would just not make sense other uh, otherwise. But fuck. yeah. If we were to tell you, it would spoil the whole thing. And we, yeah. this is again one of those ones we want you to buy it. Yes. It's very good. And I really want him to do something else, like similar to this. So. Speaking of reversals, like just oh, having Jeff, the face. Shot. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's literally, I mean, like it's shot by it's shot like a Cohen Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love the way they shoot film. It's one of my favorite styles. And Literally, because just the way they shoot conversation. And this this whole book is basically conversation. There's bits of action throughout the four issues, but mostly it's her gathering information. Plus, a lot of these locals are 100% Coen Brother characters. <laughs> like, the really wacky ones, I'm like, yeah. Or, like, the useless cop she met that one time. I was like, yeah, yeah that's a Coen Brothers character. Like, <laughs> I love it. So, But then um, the competent but, one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I know it's really, really good. Really loved it. So, absolutely great. Uh, anything else about it before we move on? It was just like it was just awesome from the start. Like you didn't know what you're getting getting yourself into, and then by the end, it's just like I still don't. But that's just because you want to be in denial of just like again the reveals. Or I'm really just trying. I'm trying yeah. to push this book for other people to buy it because it, it, it should be talked about. It's it's gonna yeah. be a good one. To just be like oh, and then these moments, you know, like again, high it's praises also, for this. It's book. also one of those ones where you're like, 
surely we're getting another issue, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, surely I'm going to get some more explanation, right? Like, it's good, but <laughs> only me hanging. Like, so yeah. All right, let's move on to bad idea, Josue. Tell us about the latest bad idea. Bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Tankers number two by Robert Venditti, uh, art by Juan Jose Reap, and then um, Andrew Dollhouse. I believe is the lettering might be the colorist. There's no no clear credits page. You just get the names. Uh, But this is the one where we, hey, let's go back in time to just bounce the comet back that killed the dinosaurs so there's more dinosaurs later by the time the comet comes back and thus more oil cha-ching <laughs> it does not go as planned that's how time travel works that's yeah. how time travel works <laughs> so when they came back after doing what they did they realized oh shit it's overgrown everything here is overgrown and oh shit there's there's still dinosaurs fuck what happened and then they chalked it up to like oh our trajectory of coming back it was a little off. We should have just been based a little bit uh, like elsewhere based on how er- evolution, everything growing out since then. Sure. Whatever. That makes sense. It turns out now their answer or because coming back to, into the story, they took care of, of a few dinosaurs when they got there. They looked like normal dinosaurs. They were like, from the Cretaceous period. But then we got left off on these bigger, gnarlier looking dinosaurs. And so the tankers start blasting away start shooting away at everything and they're just not making damage (laughs) so it's like they yeah they chalked it up to one what happened was that when they bounced the comet back into space there might have been a chance that it might have hit something else and thus never coming back (laughs) but then one person's like oh but the odds of that happening are one and like this ridiculous number but then i'm in my head like you don't think that by that such an impossible number, the the possibility of it crashing on anything else out in space is possible. No, it's like a, that, that makes sense. So that pretty much that happened. The comet never came back and dinosaurs were able to evolve <laughs> instead of us evolving. So that's why they're stronger, like then we're just more hardened, able to just get battle ready. So it turns out they were able to find a base or at least like something picked up on the radar. And what happened was course they did is that before they went back in time and fucked everything up there was also like a shield just on the border of everything that was canada so that that didn't get messed up through time canada got to stay intact mm-hmm. and now the new <laughs> god damn it's so stupid yeah. the, the new plan is to go back an hour prior than the original tankers to kill them to not kill said comments <laughs> This is literally the plot of a Family Guy episode. <laughs> it's so dumb, but it's just so funny just because see how this is going to work yeah. out. Uh, but then it turns out that, um, again, nature t- took its course. And and then the reason why Texas was able to stay there is because like they had their own like basically like sonic systems, like, like emitting, a, emitting a, a frequency so that dinosaurs couldn't get like, closer. But again, nature finds a way. <laughs> And they're able to evolve to just resist it. And then the little like carpy looking things just spat a bunch of acid into one of the walls. And now they're going to get through. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fun book as this, as far as like stupid fun books, this one's like really up there. I enjoy it. Nice. All right, let's move on to scout comics. Uh, I'm following up on a book. I got the number one for last week. 
with yes. the number two because that was a second printing. So I happened to get them week to week, uh, which is really great. And that is by the horns number two. Um, story and direction by Marquis and Nasso. Art lettering designed by Jason Moore. Color art and effects by Andre uh, Tabakuru. Okay. Uh, I was very complimentary of the first issue, and I'm more complimentary of this issue. Mm. Um, so, quick story update. It was uh, the young woman who lived in the fantasy world. Uh, she hunts monsters. She makes heads and makes soups out of their heads, uh, and it tastes terrible. <laughs> their whole, her whole goal was to kill the unicorns because they killed her beloved. Yeah, She's kicked out of town because she won't you know, do anything except kill monsters. She has a year to get it out of her system and come back. She traveled to a town. She met somebody, a red panda person, who told her that, hey, that wizard over there has two unicorns. Go defeat him and you could probably kill the unicorns, I'm assuming. And so she's like, fine. And that's where we left off. Now, we get a flashback at first when we get to see her beloved. Josue. Why? He's Aww. a cutie. Oh, yeah, he is. Jesus. <laughs> so, yeah. Aww. And she oh, looks oh really my God. nice. I didn't see the facial hair at the time. Oh, my God. Oh, damn. Yeah, he's he's a cutie. Hey. And they're like, you're my forever. And then she's yeah, she has is. she's having a bad dream, and she gets to see the evil stampede of the unicorns. Oh, my before, God. So. Jesus. I would go on a killing <laughs> rampage, too. <laughs> so, basically, they go over. And I just I love how clean the art is. It's mm-hmm. not... It's just such a clean art. I, I can't describe it. It's just amazing. Uh, for those of you out there, just pick it up. L- just pick it up in the book or in the store. Look at it. You'll see what I mean. Um, they knock on the wizard's door and a giant eyeball pops out of the, the thing and like looks at them and is like, can I help you? And it's just like, yeah, we want to come in and meet the wizard. And it's like, okay. And then it opens up and it's literally just a floating eyeball. Oh, nice. Uh, apparently. I know it's so good, dude. Apparently, it was an eyeball of a forest giant, and after the forest giant was killed, the master pulled the eyeball out and brought it to life with magic. And then it says, "My name is Evelyn," <laughs> I like and it. I was like, "Well, damn it, I'm gonna love Evelyn her <laughs> time." And and they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I've just never seen anything like you." She's like, "Oh, I've heard much worse. I appreciate the apology, though." <laughs> and I'm like, "Damn it!" So. They go to find the the wizard and he yells, Avalon! And the wizard is just like doing experiments and shit. And he's, he's a douchebag. Um, so that's the wizard. You can see he's like... Mm. Oh, yeah. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then over in this little cage, he has two unicorns. And she's like, hey, uh, none of my business. I just want the unicorns. Can I have the unicorns? Or she's like, I just want to know where the rest of their blessing is. Because a group of unicorns is called a blessing, kids. Uh, in case you didn't know that. Um, so she's like, she's like, I want that. And she's like, useless fool. Or the dude's like, useless fools. I'm going to kill you. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, well, I guess we can fight. So they have a big magic fight. And it's fun. It's choreographed well and everything. And the unicorns are just sitting there. And one of them goes, we need to help them. And it's like, uh, pretty sure we're going to die horribly anyways. And it's like, there are her and the dog-faced deer steed is what they refer to the, her pet as. <laughs> our best chance to survive. What do we do? We're stuck in this cage. Like, we can give her our horns. And they're like, basically, the, the magic of their horns can go through the cage they're in, but the rest of them can't. So they literally stick their horns up against the cage. Uh, right there. Oh, yeah. And then she reaches over, 
breaks them off and makes this awesome cutlass with it. Oh, shit. Combines them together. And she ends up taking down the wizard. And uh, she, she kills him and everything. And then the, the unicorn's like, we're free. And then the, the place is collapsing, so they run away together. And Evelyn's like, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Evelyn, the floating eyeball, is like, I know another way to your boat. Please take me and the unicorns with you. And so they go together and they escape. And um, she's like, all right, time to kill the unicorns. And then her dog, deer, pony is just like, no, let's talk to them. Maybe they'll help us and stuff. And basically, it kind of leaves off with her wanting to talk to them and find out information from them, but not quite getting there. Um, I love this book. It's just a fun adventure. (laughs) It's, It's just... I really, really enjoy each character. I'm really liking the the unicorns already. Um, it's just great. And the art is just wonderful. I just love it. The next cover does feature all five of them. So I do think Evelyn and the unicorns are sticking around, which is an excellent choice for the record. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm so surprised. And I picked this up on a whim, and I'm really happy I did. Um, so, yeah, 100% recommend By the Horns number two. So, so. Now we're going to move on to one of the bigger indies for us, and that is Image Comics. And, oh boy, do we have a list. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's five, just as many as Dark Horse, but yeah. I'll start off with Commanders in Crisis, number nine. I can't remember. I think there's only ten issues for this. Okay. Oh, and here's Prize Fighter. Oh. Like, almost every cover I get is Prize Fighter being very gay, and I love it. <laughs> so... um. Written by Steve Orlando, drawn by David Tinto, uh, colored by Francesca Caratinuto, and letter by Fabio Amelia. So the team finally gets back together. And um, Frontier, who is the one who discovered all the information about the nature of concepts like you know, empathy and things, she comes back and she's like, we can recreate empathy or we can even make something better. That's her suggestion. So they're basically trying to decide what they're going to do. The team welcomes her back in a way like they're kind of like off about it. Um, They're not, they don't fully trust her, but they kind of need her, you know, that kind of thing. We meet Dr. Dracula, which Mm. is great because this this series, one of the things they do is kind of throw something really goofy at you every once in a while. Yeah. And Dr. Dracula is literally just this guy. And he's really good with blood. So they give him a sample of the blood of the person they're trying to find, and he drinks it and is able to tell them where she goes and stuff like that. So um, the bad guys create a big riot across the entire planet, and the Crisis Command goes out there to stop them. And they're fighting the bad guys, which are all clones of Frontier slash the main bad girl. Um, But they all look like different and stuff. They have different powers. And they pretty quickly lose the fight. And it's they actually beat prize fighter. So one of the things about prize fighter is power is he basically is invincible. As long as people are cheering for him, the more people cheering for him, the more powerful he is. Uh, so if he doesn't have an audience, if no one's cheering for him, he's not powerful. Well, the entire world's falling apart and no one's thinking about him right now. So he gets his ass handed to him pretty quick. Uh, but he stands up all bruised and beaten. He's like, so about those hands. Like, so I just <laughs> love him. And, Basically, he's he's trying to fight and he just gets absolutely wrecked by somebody. And you see a reporter talking to the um, to the camera. He's like, "Prize fighter." He's like, "I'm sorry if you're still tuned in. If there's anyone still watching, the Crisis Command is under attack. Prize fighter. He needs you to watch. He needs us to watch. Do you hear me? 
does anybody hear me? Is anybody watching this? And then it's the, the bad girl standing over prize fighter down. So, so if the crowd gets behind prize fighter, he can step up and do it. But I really, really, really enjoyed this. Like I, I love, I love this book. It's just that amount of goofy that I love. And I love all the characters and I absolutely prize fighter. I was actually going to message, um, and I'll probably do it after this message our friends over at men of steel case Aiken specifically because he likes to talk about analogs of superman and i think he should read this and talk about prize fighter because i love his analysis of those oh i constantly read them too yeah it's great so i'm I'm gonna mention prize fighter to him because the series is almost over and see what he thinks so yeah all right now we're gonna switch to Josue for two books let's start with deadly class number what (sighs) deadly class number 46 (laughs) jesus 46 (laughs) Thus making it the second longest of Josue's favorites image books. I was going to say that's really long for an image book. Oh, fuck yeah, it is. Uh, The last two being um, Wiktiv and East of West had 45. That's that's where they that's where they ended. Yeah. Black Science had 42, 43. um, And. Saga's just been stuck at 50 fucking four. <laughs> so I'm making Deadly Class the second longest uh, fa- of Josue's favorite image books. Still, but still, uh, arguably. I mean, if it, if it gets to 55, it will be arguably Josue's favorite image book since Saga has nothing to show for it. <laughs> yes, still. <laughs> uh, but damn it. So issue 46, again, like, uh, what can I say without really spoiling? Without because like this one actually moved a lot of pieces forward. This one did answer a lot for me. Well, first and foremost, the it's a great cover, gas tank, but there's a, a oh, party yeah. boat, and then a bunch of clothes and some CDs. And you can definitely they're actually named. You can you can actually tell which ones they are. It's a it's a Pennywise album, a Far Side album, and then Radiohead's OK Computer. And that's when I started raising some flags. But mm. I need to start. Mm. I need to start reading. So I'm reading, and it's like of course a classic Marcus monologue to just sour the whole fucking mood of the, of this, a sweet boat, uh, boat party <laughs> until he's like, Hey you guys, mind if I change this? Are you high? I love far side, but it's on repeat for an hour. Lost in your captivating tales and didn't notice. What do you want to put on? Fucking jawbreaker. <laughs> it's like, ah, awesome. So yeah, of course he wants to just mellow out the whole fucking mood. Um, and they're just a great, it's just a great conversation. You just ha- start having music conversations. Like one of the things I just loved about uh, Deadly Class from the beginning. Uh, but yeah, and then we get just a sweet reveal of just shit coming back to normal. Again, I'm trying to hide some some spoilers just because Steven, I'm looking at you because <laughs> I know you're reading it in trade <laughs> and I don't want to reveal too much. But a lot of pieces are moving forward, and then yeah, the little red flag that w- that got raised, it got confirmed. We have another time skip. At least mm. I'll say that much, because oh man, it's just like why is it's an interesting move. It's something that doesn't that doesn't happen in Deadly Class, but to just go back and forth like this, reflecting on what had happened at the end of the last arc, which was fucking crazy. I, I thought that was just like the setup, or, or even to follow that. It's like how do you just go to the next day after that. And then there was like the long ass fucking break. So it was like, Rick really thought about how to, how to approach this. <laughs> and I guess we're just moving forward, which is really almost like the whole point about this book too. Uh, once, if you think about it, just like, it's like over like the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, they keep talking about another thing that happened, not just basically what, what did happen the next day or the events 
or like the week after of those events of like the end of the last arc, which again, we're fucking crazy with these, with this murderous uh, cult. And yeah, we set up a similar, uh, we set we set up to a similar event that uh, pretty much like the end of the freshman year. And if, it, if to the readers who are reading Deadly Class can recall that far back, that shit's about to happen again when Marcus just decides to have a speech of his own. And then coming back to like the present, the whole thing about the whole boat party trip is because it's just that. It's a trip to go somewhere and to right a wrong, to enact a, uh, a sense of revenge. And it's a glorious fucking scene. And I just fucking love it. But where do we go from here? Is the, I don't know because I'm pretty because sure, I'm pretty sure we're going to be telling these two stories of what happened to those post events of uh, the last arc, and then moving forward from here. Because at this point, we're back. We're two issues that are back to back of literally going just years forward. And again, there was there was talk that this book was ending at the end of like the, the, the last arc, but then there was like the break and then starting this one just felt like there was just now more to tell, but now coming into like these two stories, I might kind of come in like at the, in the middle, if you will, I'm just starting to see that they could like the finality to it. And I just, I hope not, but I'm starting to see, like the beauty of it too, but yeah, deadly class. I'm just so happy it's back. Nice. And what about ink lot nine? Oh man, this fucking cat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, Deadly Class is also made by Rick Remender, Wes Craig as the artist, and uh, Lee Luridge uh, as the colorist, and Russ mm-hmm. Wooten as the letter. <laughs> Inklot <laughs> is written by Emma Kubert and um, drawn by Rusty Glad. <laughs> so, in the last issue, there was um, the two sisters that just started fucking fighting out of nowhere, even though there was like centuries of, of war already between the two. And then there was supposed to be a stalemate or at least like a ceasefire. And then they just kept fucking fighting. And then in the whole clusterfuck, the cat got in the way and got scared and it just poofed. So where did it poof off to? Into the third, fourth, basically like the lo- the last faction possible going into this war, back into this war. There are these two bandits that are just trying to take advantage of just like looting everything in the way. And the cat just tags along with them. <laughs> And you have the intellectual bandit and then the very reckless other one. And she's hilarious. Actually, they're both very funny. Like, they both compliment each other very, very well. But the cat just gets stuck with them and they just can't get rid of it. And they pretty much like pushes them to just go through all the whole battle. They they basically go through these two giants that are just like fighting each other. It just becomes a whole fucking spectacle. Um, until they just like yeah and as it's taking him through every, through the whole battlefield and the cat finally gets too scared for for himself he teleports them to just anywhere else and now they're just like stuck in this like random like uh fucking um in the snow area it's like basically in this arctic area mm-hmm. basically anywhere away from where they just were and yeah i knew we were just gonna like, leave the story of the sisters and the whole family even though it is centered around them but I just didn't think we were just going to get into like any other sort of shenanigans that we we're just going to be that that's still close to everything else that just happened. But yeah, Inkblot, it just, it makes no sense, but it's just, it's just charming to just take a breather <laughs> of a book, even then just, and just enjoy the silliness of like the storytelling. Yeah. Thanks. 
Especially when you're right in the middle of a, like your image stack. Yeah, exactly. Because image can be pretty grim. And then you flip over and think plot and you're like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take itself too seriously. Yeah, nice. Uh, well, that takes us to the two image books that we share. First one we're going to talk about is Deep Beyond number five. Ooh. Uh, and we got it written by David Goy and Mirka Andolfo, drawn by Andrea Brocadero, or Bricardo. Uh, colored by Barbara Nascenzo and lettered by Maurizio Clausi. Um, me and Osway briefly talked about this before we got started, and I stand by what I said. This is the issue that clicked with me, that really clicked with me to make this a really, really great comic. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed it, don't get me wrong, but this is the one that made me go, yes, this is this is the book. This is going to be good. And um, yeah, so basically we we... We've basically been on a rescue mission to rescue um, one of our main characters' uh, sister. And that's basically what's been the, the plot so far. And there's obviously been monsters and like stuff like that. But it didn't get really otherworldly until late last issue and then really embraced it in this issue. Mm-hmm. So uh, what did you think, first of all? Um, honestly, same thoughts. And especially with like just the beginning of just like seeing this like like hyper sci-fi like really mm. otherworldly sci-fi and then like you see like the the surgery sequence and it's like oh fuck it just it's captivating like all over again even though it was by the same time you're just like you just have this list of questions that are almost like trying to piece it together and there's one just like tied it better but at the same time you're just like oh shit but a lot of stuff just starts making sense going yeah. into it now um so yeah because there's a lot of exposition but stuff that now you wouldn't be as lost like if like I was, I guess you two and three. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really liked it. And so we, we get to meet this other alien race. Mm-hmm. We get to see what they look like when not wearing armor, which we only really saw one in armor before, which for all intents and purposes could have just been a robot. Yeah. You know? And, um, it, I, I just really, really like it. And I, I, I think the main thing with this issue was it just gets me really excited where this is going. Yes. And also two characters that we thought were lost are back. Yeah, and that's cool because the cast was huge and then tiny in like two issues. Dwindled, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So I'm glad to see that two of them are back. That's a lot of fun. Um, there's also a twist that I don't want to talk about because again, if you're reading along with us, it's great. I'll say it's about time. Yes, and that was a really cool twist. It's it's a common twist sometimes, but I think it was used really well in this case. So. Uh, but yeah, really, really highly recommend this book. It's really great. Uh, I did get a variant cover. Oh, so I can yeah. only find the variant too. Oh, you got that one. Nice. I thought about yeah. that one. But yeah. I was like, you know what? Since Merck is not drawing it, I'll support it for this variant. Yeah, gotcha. So, uh, which is the, for the listeners, I got the Kill Nagoo cover. So, oh, nice. Um, all right. That takes us to our last image book. And that is Noctera number four. Once again, I got a variant, and this is the Jenny Frizen variant. Ooh, you found it. Nice. Yes. Such a yeah. great cover. It's wonderful. So, um, so Noctera, written by Scott Snyder, drawn by Tony S. Daniel, colored by Tom Mori, and lettered by And World. Um, it continues the tradition of this one where we get flashbacks to her life before and then come forward into the, the modern time. And I think this is probably the most effective of the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's literally them. Do we wait to get s- saved? We're told to stay here. You know what I mean? Like we're supposed to stay here. 
but our parents have turned into monsters. Are they going to kill us? The door is going to break down any minute. The radio has been silent. Yeah. Yeah. Do we run? Do we, do we, you know, what do we do? I think that was the most effective uh, flashback so far in the run. So, um, what I think is really interesting is blacktop bill is almost absent from this entire issue. Yeah. He's in one panel uh, that he's mentioned a couple times, but he's in one panel. It's really about the relationship between our two remaining characters, our two remaining uh, main characters and how we didn't really see them develop together throughout the first three issues, really. And this gives them a chance to kind of talk and kind of get to know each other and stuff. And I really dug it. It was really cool. And once again, really cool ending with a moment of like, Oh, like I yeah. thought that was a really cool end. So um, what'd you think? I definitely like the action in this one. The action seemed really cool. Uh, sequences were really cool. Um, the designs of the monsters were actually really dope too. Cause I feel like you don't really get to see them with a the whole blacktop bill is like, just like the actual antagonist, but there's just other adversaries out there too. Uh, but yeah, I also I, I gotta call attention to. I just love that's the, the design one. of her helmet. Yeah, that's the panel like, that really stuck out to me. Is like yeah. this, this whole oh yeah, totally sequence is just really cool. But um, I just lo- I love the the lighted circle as mm-hmm. her faceplate. That's just such a cool iconic idea. Like yeah, and then we got to talk about the old man who Blacktop Bill took last time. Oh yeah, and strapped him to his car. This was one of the grimmest things I've ever seen in a comic book. It's like, what was that? What was that noise? Bill? Ah, it's just the wind. <laughs> That's Fuck. so grim. I was like, God damn, dude. <laughs> like, I was, I like, I read um, freaking Undiscovered Country from Scott Snyder as well. Mm-hmm. And that's a grim book, but that outgrimmed that whole run so far for me. <laughs> I was like, good God, man. <laughs> so, um, yeah. No, but, but the whole underlining story of the backstory was really cool. I really thought she was going to be like herself and like, and it ended with like my choice. But the fact that it was just like the good sister move is like, oh, that's, that's good. I really yeah. thought I was not going to start to not like her and just be like the selfish approach. But no, it's cool. Yeah, really, I, I am digging it. It's It was a good, I mean, they got where they're going. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, so now we get, I think we're going to start getting answers, which I think is really cool. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, so that takes us to our last indie publisher, as always, is going to be Vault. Uh, but we only have one Vault book this week, and that is Hollow Heart number four. Uh, so created and written and drawn and everything by the Pauls, Paul Lore and Paul Tucker. <laughs> Um, so I have thoughts hit me and I'm trying to express them about L and the nature of his existence (laughs) (laughs) and what we've, what we find out and his suspicions. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, there's so much going through my head. I don't know how to express what I think. Tell me what you think. Let me think for a minute. I feel like I was right, and I didn't want. I didn't want to be like, yeah, Mateo, you son of a bitch. Like, I wanted this. I wanted them to be happy. I wanted Ella to be happy more than anything. But I just like, Mateo, why? Yeah. And then, once again, with Hollow Heart, one thing we always mention is the narration. Yes, which always tells us a story. That is metaphorically related to what was going uh-huh. on. And this one was really weird and I liked it a lot, but it was just like, it's so interesting. So it's basically the tale of a man who goes to see a hypnotist 
and for a problem he has uh wait he was heavy that's right mm-hmm. he knows weight so his wife's like let's go see a hypnotist so he starts eating better and he's like yeah i'm losing weight and he's like realizes he's doing other things like he washes the dishes every night and he doesn't get angry anymore and he started dressing just like his wife wanted him to mm-hmm. and i'm like oh fucking hell <laughs> and then basically obviously he found out that the hypnotist had done more for the wife than he'd really asked for so the guy told his brother his brother broke up with his wife and then a while later he remarried and his wife had a smoking problem and he suggested she go to a hypnotist Mm -hmm. and basically the same thing happened back the other way i'm not going to spoil the end of the story it's really interesting um but these these stories alone could be a whole comic book. <laughs> <laughs> like they could be a whole separate comic, and I really like them. But it is grim. It is grim. I'll say that. So um, I like it. I like it. I'm wondering how long this one's going to go. What do you think? Two more issues, right? And because I really, again, like my first impressions of what I when I'm think I'm looking up a list for new books. I I, I thought this was like a four issue run, but obviously it wasn't going to end just here. I as yeah. much as I was thinking, but we are going to get more. I assumed four as well. Yeah. So. Um so yeah, the the introduction or at least like the hook at the end like the cliffhanger it's just like at this point we're like introducing a new player this late into the game like I would like two more issues but if it can be explained like if it all could be tied up in the next one that'd be cool too. But fuck it, I'll take more or fuck do I want to? Like do I want more? I I don't want L to suffer more. I know it's I just have a feeling it's going to be a tragic ending one yeah. or the other. Oh no for sure. It's not going to be good for L. He's not going to be like and then everything was fine and he retired and he lives on a beach now. Like it's not going to happen. Like, so yeah, but good, good book. Good book. Pick it up. Yeah. Just like all vault books, pick it up. It's great. So, alrighty, we're transitioning over to the big two and starting with that distinguished competitor of Marvel themselves, DC. Uh, let's start with Swamp Thing. Number four, Josue, take it away. Cool. Swamp Thing. Number the Swamp Thing. Number four. Uh, <laughs> this one is by written by Ram V. Oh, thank God. Uh, Mike Perkins is the artist. Mike Spicer is a colorist. And Aditya Bidikar as the lettering. So where were we last That's a hell of a team. Yeah. No, this, this book is fantastic. This, this book is awesome. Um, yeah. Where we last left off, Swamp Thing, or at least like the new, the new guy, Levi, was talking to both sides, both personalities of... Po- of ivy not poison like uh, yeah poison ivy just to iterate but it, she was just, just going by ivy like she wasn't really she wasn't poison anymore i think she never saw herself as that that was just that was literally the name given to her i guess um <laughs> and at the end uh alec holland finally shows up and he's like hey how about you come talk to me and i'll finally start you sort you straight on on the swamp thing thing and like all right cool but along the way, there's also Levi's love interest, and she's being um, she's being uh, uh, pretty much guided around by another spirit. I'm trying, I can't remember who this character was. It was um, is right now. But Levi asks something right now. Is just following Alec, and Alec is just dropping all these truth bombs. And the truth, at least for the, the main truth about this book and the green in this take, is that. The green is a place of a live of living information. It is hmm. essentially it is memory, the memory of everything. Even though everything has died and crossed over, they don't meant they don't say it, but everything has crossed over into the red, if you will, or into the raw. Um, hmm. Still leaves off 
a sense of anything, a sense of memory, because it was still attached to this green earth. So he can basically just like tap into anything, or at least like anything from like into like the past. Um, and so as he's going through like still through like all, all these like clusterfuck of like just revelations, um, Levi uh, faces this other embodiment of memories, and you see him there, right? That's the swamp thing, mm-hmm. and the embodiment that he that he faces is this giant thing of memories. Mm-hmm. It's a living embodiment of, I guess, like of memories of from the green, and he, I guess, almost has to conquer it, or at least like get close to it. But what he does instead is that he reaches out to it. He reaches out into everything. This is amazing panel of him throwing his vines out, and he's able to just like almost, I guess, oh. recall everything. It's an amazing fucking spread. Uh, page That's gorgeous, spread. yeah, really fucking cool. Um, and you just able to recall almost based, I guess, where everything kind of came from, or what I guess what everything really means. And I guess it's very philosophical. It's just so much to fucking explain. Um, but I guess he now he has like this sense of control, and it basically cuts to him saving like his love interest, because like, like she was almost like in a way gonna turn into or be a, be embodied as part of the green without being able to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's able to save her, and they come back and they come back to where they were because again this all happened. He was gonna go gonna get an MRI and just thus spawn the whole green into the room, and then she goes in and like the spores triggered her to go in as well. So they come back and everything's fine. Like all the green, all the green shit's gone. Um, but it sucks. Cause like, it, it, again, like it's a love interest. And he, on the way home, he's having the moment of like, Oh, should I tell her? Like, maybe I should. Cause it's like a big part of me now. Right. And then she's like, I saw a monster in, in my dream. It was, it was, it was a horrible thing as if like the swamp itself had come to life. And he's just like, ah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, the uh, and in the end, like a, a pretty much like a, a flora thing got left behind in like the MRI room and the, yeah, the MRI room, and it's gonna be taken so somebody else can pretty much like use it for their own plot device. And then the end happened, and I'm kind of like bummed out because it was like now it's back to back weeks of this fucking book following me, and I don't want it to. It's like that annoying friend. It's like you just can't tell. It's like, oh, yo, no, we're not, not friends. Squad. <laughs> Fucking Suicide Squad. Enter Suicide Squad in my Swamp Thing book, which I don't want because I have nothing to do here. Uh... <laughs> we're not going to buy it. I'm not going to fucking buy Suicide Squad. <laughs> Especially when you have like this shot of. So, yeah, Amanda Waller with the team, right? But in the back, mm-hmm. you have like deceased all the i guess other um swamp thing or something suicide squad members that are deceased yeah. deceased king shark are you fucking serious deceased boo, boo. fucking boo, boo. <laughs> why so lame I, I i i don't hate this book i just hate this part <laughs> I mean, you know, it could be a lot of things. Leave me alone, Suicide Squad. <laughs> I mean, they really want that movie to make it. You know what I mean? It's going to be <laughs> fine. It, I, at this point, it's already better than the last one. You don't have to it's push it in the yet. comics I like. <laughs> it's true, but you have to say it. What's What's the Falcon meme? He's out of line, but he's right. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> Awesome. Well, hopefully that won't be a lingering thing. The Suicide Squad. Better not. 
All right. Uh, so that takes me to my DCs. And we'll start with Green Lantern number three. Ooh, cool. I just got to say, I know some people are really like down on these deluxe covers for Green Lantern books. I don't care. I love them. The really hard like cardstock ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I got this one because, again, it's Joe. I love Sojourner. <laughs> I thought about it because of that cover. Yeah. And Teen Lantern. So basically, we're left with um, last the last time we checked in with Green Lantern, the power battery exploded. And so basically, every Lantern powered off the power battery, they lost their abilities. Now, Sojourner isn't powered off the power battery. Hers works differently because when she was sent away in, in Far Sector she couldn't use the battery is too far away. So sure her, hers works differently. So she still has her powers, but she's not really aware of anybody else that might have powers except for teen lantern who has like a gauntlet and it works differently and they don't even really know how it works. So there's two stories going on here. One is with John Stewart. I love John Stewart, except for guy Gardner. He's my favorite green lantern. Um, and yeah, I know, <laughs> but he's basically, he's thinking about how he's in high school, but in high school, like Kilowog is like, the the school bully and stuff like all all of his classmates are the other green lanterns and you're trying to figure out what's happening and he's basically having like a dream slash hallucination of some kind and you find out basically him and like a thousand green lanterns were sent on this mission right and they're on this spaceship and he um he's traveling with the mushroom green lantern (laughs) okay so which is great whose ring is around his neck which is excellent and basically they're traveling they're flying through space going towards a planet when all of a sudden the power battery explodes back on Oa. Oh. He loses all his powers in the vacuum of space. Oh, shit. Yes. Oh, fuck. Big full page spread of him choking. Oh, god damn. And then you see the mushroom lantern going towards him mm-hmm. and then there's a big flash of light. The mushroom lantern from what I can tell, encased him inside of himself. And so the Mushroom Lanterns protect him in the vacuum of space, basically. And he keeps having this dream, and it's his ex-wife and all this stuff, and he eventually realizes someone's messing with his head, and he wakes up, and he meets this cute girl. Hmm. And she's basically like, yeah, I found you. Like Our scrap bots found you. Um, this is the thing to basically slowly get you to accept the new reality. So you're not shocked when you wake up and, you know, you came back from the dead and stuff basically. And so she's like, yeah, welcome to our, our, uh, our planet. And, uh, you get to meet, she has a daughter who's really cute. And then she's like, yeah, he's like, well, I need a, you know, the nearest spaceship so I can get out of here. And she's like, oh, we don't really have spaceships that can really leave here. We only have the junk bots, you know, like, so he's kind of stuck there, right? And um, uh, his his ring isn't working for communications because the power battery's down. So mm-hmm. he doesn't have powers either. And then you start seeing, oh, he's been here 10 days. Oh, he's been here 30 days. Oh, he's been here 145 days. And it's like, oh, he lives here now. <laughs> and like, it's really great. And then they get attacked by the Kenori, which is a a race that he's familiar with. But he doesn't have powers anymore, right? But he's like, they're afraid of Green Lanterns. So he gets these cool hover discs and puts them on his feet and gets a gun and puts his uniform on and basically is like doing the pretense of still being a Green Lantern to keep it. Yeah. So 
but then they immediately attack him, <laughs> basically, and take him down. So, so that's his story. The other story is the fact that Sojourner is just trying to get in touch with every Green Lantern she can, basically. Um, none of them have powers. Some of them are probably in space, floating dead, you know, because uh, a bunch of them were flying through space when that happened. Yeah. Like, John literally sent his whole crew out at that point. Oh, shit. So, um, and then she's talking to the other people at OA, and they're like, yeah, we're going to send people. Uh, we expect to recover 30% of them. You know, that's that's our estimation. We're going to get 30% of them. She's like, you're going to get 100% of them. And they're like, what? She's like, you're going to recover 100% of them. We're bringing all the lanterns home, oh, dead shit. or alive. And, the, and she's like, we will we will bury them with honor, basically. Like, <laughs> And they're like, oh, that's not really practical. She's like, whichever ones you don't recover, I will go get personally, basically. And I'm like, god damn, I love Joe. She's so great. And then we find out that Simon Baz did survive the last last thing. He's just injured, okay. which is cool because I was really worried they just offed Simon Baz. <laughs> um, and then Teen Lantern's around. She's excited and stuff. And so Turner tries one more time to send a message to the, the, the Lantern communication thing. And she's like, I don't know if any of you even have power. If you do, you know, this, that. And then right here, that Ooh. is definitely Hal Jordan yeah. from what I can see. And he's definitely hearing something. So he still has power. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, I really, I really dug this. Um, I, I'm glad I started up on the Green Lantern book after Future State. It was when I took a shot on it. I'm really enjoying it. So. Uh, written by Jeffrey Thorne, who is really great, by the way. I'm really enjoying his work. Uh, art by Tom Rainey and Mar- Marco Santucci. Uh, colored by Michael Taya. Letter by Rob Lay. So, good stuff. And then, next up, we have two books that we share. Uh, let's start with uh, Crush and Lobo. Okay. Yeah, I got the same Crush cover. Crush and Lobo number one. Yeah, we got the same cover. <laughs> it was just too cute. I had to get it. So, um, so Crush and Lobo, obviously, Crush is the daughter of Lobo. And this is a really good book for those of you who are like, Lobo has a daughter and have no idea what's going on. This is a really good book because it sets it up very well for you. Um, but yeah, we both got the Pride cover in case anyone was wondering. Yes. Because uh, of course we did. Uh, and so it's written by Mariko Tamaki, drawn by Amanke Nahupan, color by Tamara Bond Villain, and letter by Ariana Mayer. So this is done in a very fun way. Yeah. And and here's the thing. This this is a little bit of a hot topic on my my side. When you see people talk about Marvel versus DC, a lot of the argument is the closest equivalent to Deadpool is Harley Quinn. No, mm-hmm. it's Lobo. It's Lobo. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who thinks it's Harley Quinn has never read Lobo. <laughs> Lobo's goofy, he regenerates from a single cell like he's it's, it's yeah. So, if you've never read a Lobo book, keep that in mind as you start this. You don't see a lot of Lobo in this issue, but Crush kind of has a not so much the fourth wall breaking, but like the goofiness to her and stuff. So not as goofy, though. Uh, So basically, she gets in a big fight on her way to her girlfriend's birthday party. And so she shows up. And for those who don't know what Crush looks like, she's all gothed out and everything. Um, And she recently quit quit the Teen Titans, which we got to witness. Yeah. So she's at this party. And there's so much about this I love. Yeah, because she shows up and she's you know she's got the the white face or the white skin, the the makeup around the eyes or the markings around the eyes I should say. Again, she's all gothed out and everything. And the first person she sees sees are her girlfriend's friends, who are these adorable little white women, 
who are like, we love you. And she, and I could tell it's great because it's like, it's almost like she wants them to hate her instead of like her. It would be better if yeah. they hated her. Like, and I love that. <laughs> then she runs into Katie's parents who are like, Hey, and she's like, <laughs> like I just love it. Cause when you do dress alternatively, you are, ex- you have an expectation of being looked down on. Yeah. And when people don't do it, you're kind of like, are you being condescending? (laughs) (laughs) So I really liked that. So, Um, and then Katie shows up and she's adorable. I was like, oh, it's so cute. And then they dance. And when they dance, they thrash around, which I know who's way loved. (laughs) I did love that part. Because like, I love what it says. Like Katie's the best person ever. uh, And not just because this is her idea of dancing. It's like, ah, awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So basically, she accidentally ruins the birthday because she tracks in some alien gook mm. and it like mixes with the vanilla candles and causes toxic gas, basically. And then they have a fight and Katie asks her to leave. Um, I don't know if Lobo took that as her being broken up with or if they had later had a conversation that they or not Lobo, sorry, oh, Crush, um, Crush, yeah. Crush, yeah. I don't know if Crush took it as she was being broken up with or if they had a later conversation. She does text her later right before she has to leave. Gotcha. Okay. That's true. Yeah. Uh, But, well, she says we need to talk. But I don't know what I'm saying between these two things. Right. Because this is several days later. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I don't know if they had an official we broke up conversation. So Um, Crush gets a visitor. Also, I love, 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 love how they draw Crush in the series. Oh, my God. She's gigantic. She's got huge arms. Like, I just love that unashamedly badass also her aquaman shirt i want it <laughs> yes. um so it's almost like um, she's like taunting like i dare to make fun of my shirt <laughs> and then you get to no, get these exactly. arms and then imiko shows up i'm pretty I'm pretty sure imiko is the one that's right around right now and basically they give you the background behind her whole thing with lobo her biological dad what's going on and she finds out that Lobo's in prison in space and he's being reformed and he wants to see her. <laughs> Fucking crazy and guy. She says, maybe. And obviously it's Lobo, so there's probably a trick here. Somewhere. Oh, he has some sort of ploy to get out yeah. just because it's parents' day. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I really enjoyed the first issue. What do you think? Oh, it was so much fun. I mean, again, like, um, not really being into DC, so I have, like, I think this might be my first crush book. And off the bat, I just love it. And also because since, like, what, fucking Future State, I still don't have my own um, Mariko Tamaki book, DC book, by by them. So it's kind of like, it's about time I jump into oh, it. Yeah, into, you're not getting Detective Comics? Uh, yeah, I'm not getting any of, the, any of the bad books. So it's kind of like, it's about fucking time I jump into one of, one of theirs. So it's like, this is actually a great start. Nice. We also have a quick breakdown at the end of mm-hmm. all the stuff coming from DC Pride, uh, including Batwoman from James Tinian and Trung Lee Nguyen. Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn from Mariko Tamaki and Amy Reader. Midnighter from Steve Orlando and Steve Byrne. Keep an eye on that. That's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a sleeper, I'm telling you. Uh, Jess Chambers Flash, who, God, I miss Jess Chambers Flash, um, <gasps> by Danny Lore and Lisa Sterl. Wow, yeah, that team. Yeah. Uh, Green Lantern, Alan Scott, and Obsidian. Ooh, cool. Love that. With Sam Johns and Klaus Johnson. Dreamer by Nicole Maines and Rachel Scott. I'm so excited. I love Nicole Maines. So, and the question, Renee Montoya, of course, Vita Ayala and Skylar Partridge. Crazy cool. Also amazing. And then also featuring uh, Jackson Hyde Aqualad with Vandu Wheeler and uh, Luciano Vecchio and Pied Piper with Cena Grace and <laughs> Rose Stein and T- Ted Brandt. We love us some Cena Grace. So These are great teams. Yep. I love it. Yeah. It's going to be great. So, 
All right, last DC book. I did not get the deluxe cover for this one because I just really like the main cover. Um, so we're talking about Wonder Woman, sensational Wonder Woman, excuse me, number four. Oh, yeah. And there's a whole yeah, reason why I, I kept yeah. it to cover A. Uh, written by Corina Bechko, drawn by Danny. Yep. Artist or colorist is Mike Spicer, and letterist is Farron Delgado. Um, this obviously the art in this one's really great. It's got this cool sketchy feel to it. Yes. It's not too polished, which we you know occasionally if the right book comes wrong, that's what you want to do. And we've been really enjoying Sensational Wonder Woman because they've been able to do experimental things with Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. They're not telling a traditional six part superhero story. Yeah. You know, no, they're just telling short stories, which I really like. Um, this one uh, is all about her with uh, God, what's the character's name? Blue, blue icicle. Blue, blue ice. I was, no, that's that the blue thing. Doesn't even think they're using blue snowman. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, and yeah, it's basically it's 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 a book about climate change mm-hmm. and about how the climate's changing too quickly, and some people are getting flooded while some people have droughts and everything, which obviously is a very close thing to my heart. And so, I really appreciated that this was being addressed. And um, what do you think, dude? Oh god! And I, I didn't even realize it. I literally just like got it off of the rack because it's so sensational. Wonder Woman, and I've been reading it so cool. And it's like the one, yeah, like the I guess anthology take of Wonder Woman, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until I actually had the book in my hands and I was about to read it, where I'm like, "Wait, why do I off the bat like it?" And then I see the signature. I'm like, "No fucking way! This is a coffin bound art- artist, Danny." So mm-hmm. I'm already just like in love with the. I was already gonna love the book regardless. It was almost like the. Superman red and blue and that, that Wes Craig one take like one shot in there, which is just like my deadly class it, it bleed into it. And this is my coffin bound bleeding into Wonder Woman and just adding just so many more colors to just like spruce it all up. And, you yeah, know, like, uh, like the story in itself, because, yeah, climate change is a bitch and it is fucking happening and it is a real fucking issue. So I just go to how, how they address it here just and in a way where I can just see it happening where it's like because of capitalism and how they would just like take advantage of it. And, mm-hmm. and thus using it in this in this capacity, and it's like, oh, it'd be fucking scary, is what it would be. Yeah, and it's um, again, it's like like you said, like an anthology take. That's a really great way to say it. Actually, I would say mm. um, each story is pretty much self contained, a bunch of one shots, you know, and just I think the artist has changed every issue. If I'm I not think so, correct, yeah. So I think it's really cool. It's a fun way to do it because she does have an ongoing. Yeah, where you can do the ongoing Wonder stories, Woman so one. Yeah, why not? Yeah, mm-hmm. awesome. All right, guys, it's time for oh, the wait. main event. Sorry, I did have one, this oh. one DC book. Oh, dude, I totally forgot. Uh, hopefully I had a, a second DC book that I skipped right over in my head. Uh, <laughs> nice House on the Lake, number one. How did I forget? Please go. Um, <laughs> I'll be quick about this one because there's, there's going to be so much more. And a lot got dropped for a first issue. This is a fantastic first issue to just be like, bam, let me wow you in your fucking face. This Jan- is Black Label, right? Uh, this is from Black DC's Black Label. And gotcha. this is um, James Tynan IV writing it. Alvaro Martinez Bueno, uh, artist. And Jody Belair as the letter. I hope I got that right and not color. Yes. Cool, cool. Wait, Jody Belair is the colorist. Okay, cool. There, there's no... I don't see a letter yet. Or am I... Oh, there, there, there's a credit page. Artisan cover lettering by And World. Of course, it'd be And World. Oh, of course, it's And World. <laughs> <laughs> they so, do everything. <laughs> this book, and I was already very intrigued because I've seen the solicitations. I did notice all of these symbols, mm-hmm. particularly this one already being in yellow, the first one. Yep. And this is going to be a mini. I think I saw 
a 10 or 12 issue mini. Um, and so this story is the, the way it opens up is that we're already post APOC, basically at the end of like the world's end with uh, Nick, uh, Nick Frost with like the eye patch and just like telling like, well, this is how the world is now basically. And now we get <laughs> into the backstory and it's all of these friends coming together to this nice house on the lake title drop of the book, the nice house <laughs> on the lake. <laughs> um, and then thus here we get all of the, the, the symbols. This person, the basically, she should be the main character, goes by the artist with correlating symbol, and then basically a little profile, and it goes through like everybody who's there, and then kind of how they know each other, and and how they know the person who invited them there, like from high, there's some friends from high school, from college, and then he knows her by from the New York cluster. So I guess some friends he met once, like he was an adult, because she's really the freshest one. Everybody at the end of each profile, you get. Chosen in Brooklyn, New York, six months ago. The next one was chosen in in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, eighteen years ago. So it's kind of you start to to not. I guess I'm playing the comparing game. You start getting that cabin in the woods feel since like it's already the title's already kind of there anyway. And all these friends are kind of like, oh shit, yeah, it's been forever. I haven't seen you forever. Hey, how's it been? How's it going? And then the guy who invited them finally shows up, Walter. And he's just creepy off the bat. Like he, 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 I mean, he's rocking sunglasses, but they have that anime glare that you can never see him. So it's kind of like, <laughs> all right, fishy. <laughs> um, and party. It's a fucking party. It's like, it's like, it's like the, the first night, everybody's having a good time. And then our, our main character just goes off to the side. And like, you think it's going to be like the fucking cabin in the woods, like the word pro, uh, the slow, the story is going to slowly get into all the madness. No, the, the the main character, the artist, she goes off to the side. She's the only one that kind of has like cell phone reception. Something I don't think the I don't think Walter anticipated. And she starts going through her through her timeline. And it's the end of the fucking world. Everything like people I guess like are melting or just like just combusting on fire. Everything is just going to shit. And she freaks out. She panics and she comes back. It's like, yo, everybody, this is happening. And everybody's like, wait, what the fuck? Okay, how do we get back home? And Walter just the artist basically finally clicks. One thing I did gloss over in the be- in the beginning of the book is that uh, the artist, the 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 protagonist chick, the artist starts reflecting on the time she interacted with Walter and, and basically on why she should be going to this trip since she doesn't really know him that well. And the way she described Walter was that he was a guy that just kind of like blend into the crowd. He was kind of popular, but would just kind of like go from crowd to crowd, always kind of knew like kind of how to be in, in each group. And then there's one instance. When she finally, the one time she actually remembered talking to him because they had a, actually had a real conversation, if you can call it that. And she starts talking about the time where he asked her, how would you, how would you picture the world ending? And she has like a very philosophical answer. It's actually a really good answer. And she goes, <laughs> well, and how about you? I haven't decided yet. Come to her realizing you picked, like, like to Walter, you finally picked. And not not knowing if she knows for sure that he is capable of such thing, but I guess it starts getting really freaky to where she's just gonna go and hit, or is it because everybody's freaking out now? One of the friends is gonna go to, is gonna like hit him across the face with like a like a fucking like a stick, and the mm-hmm. stick just goes through his face, and you start getting like home. There's so many fucking reveals. Like this guy's not all like there is, 
he basically as, as his face is kind of distorting back into shape because it really just like splits into two like let me just show you <laughs> that and as he's coming to what the fuck? he just reaches over and now the one that attacked him her just her whole arm just starts melting off like half of it and now everybody shuts up and we left we're left off on to be continued <laughs> just so many shit just gets dropped on you when you just think oh i, I kind of expect i kind of know what i'm getting at and then no james is just like no you don't <laughs> no 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 you fucking don't and it's actually a really great start to a, a great horror book i think one of those like cabin in the woods horrors in the woods isolated story horror stories this is such a, uh, off to a great start Especially because wow. we have that intro to think about where, like, at least, like, the artist did survive when she has, like, the eye patch and there, there's, like, that post-APOC uh, take. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. how do we how do we get there? And, yeah, I, I'm curious. Nice. All right. Now let's move on to Marvel, the main <laughs> event. So you guys who know us at all know that there's something big coming, but we're saving it for last, as always. So. Oh my God. <laughs> all right. Let's start with our individuals. Josue. Yeah. Give us our weekly info dump for Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, weekly, bi-weekly. Like these, these pop out very fucking fast. It seems to come out every week. I mean, for the, <laughs> amount, of, for the amount of time that Nick Spencer has taken over Spider-Man, he's thrown out 67 of these bad boys. That's a lot. <laughs> well, I know, I know years ago they made a push that basically Spider-Man is going to come out three times a month. Yeah. The, for a while it was bi-weekly for sure. Yeah. Three, yeah, yeah. That makes sense, a lot of sense. And it's just stuck that way. But yeah. Amazing Spider-Man number 67 legacy issue 868 by Nick Spencer. Pencils are by Marcelo Ferreira with Carlos Gomez and lettering by Joe Caramanga. This arc is now called the Chameleon Conspiracy. <laughs> Ooh, God. Okay. If, if, if you read Spider-Man, you know that when the Chameleon shows up, he's not really a big powerhouse or a big-time player, but he can mess a lot of shit up. He's also he just very, ruins everything. He just ruins everything. <laughs> he's also very fucking stupid. Uh, at one yeah. time, he did capture Spider-Man. He did have Spider-Man in his clutches and threw him like in his pool of acid or like a pool that was going to fill up with acid. And then he bounced... If he had just waited, and he bounced because <laughs> fucking moron. I remember this now. He got he captured Spider Man, threw him in a pool of acid, and then went to go fuck up Peter Parker's shit as Peter Parker. <laughs> if he would just wait and just realize what he like, who he just found. But anyway, this is a this is his new game, and it opens with <laughs> Teresa Parker, Peter's sister, who's just been kind of like absent this whole time playing her her thing, and that's because she's been on her way to fucking Russia to infiltrate this prison and to get information out of the chameleon. Uh, Cause it was him that killed his or her uh, boyfriend. Mm-hmm. But anyway, back to the plot in hand, it just starts a bunch of shit. We are left. We do pick up where Peter Parker meets up with Betty, uh, with Betsy, uh, Betty, sorry, Betty Brandt. Um, and then she's like, then she's Tyler Preggers and he's just, having a whole freak out and going through one, two, three, four, five. And until a six panel is when he finally says congratulations to her. <laughs> um, and the whole time it was just like, kind of like yeah, in shock and refraining from asking who the dad is. And she s- drops the name. It's Ned Leeds, And he freaks out. Cause it's like, well, he's been dead, but he doesn't want to say it out loud. Cause it's like, 
I, you don't want to say that out loud uh, yeah. to your potential. Didn't uh, he die? Yeah, he <laughs> died. <laughs> but it does do a callback to uh, Dan Slott's clone, clone conspiracy to where a bunch of clones uh, just got reanimated, got revived, one of them being Ned Leeds. And the first thing that clone did was go see Betty. And it might have happened then, there. So hmm. Peter starts freaking out more right before Betty's like, oh, and there's one more thing. Peter has a freak out. He's like, oh, sorry, I'm actually needed at ESU. I- I'm sorry, I got to do this. I got to fucking go. And he's almost having a, like a, a panic attack because I maybe probably because he didn't want to like answer why the shocked face full of guilt got in him. And it's because <laughs> it goes, it, this issue does a lot of callbacks to Nick Spencer's run. And the fir- the next one being um, back in 816 of Nick Spencer's issue when Peter Parker finds like this bum or like that's pretty much that dies in his hands. And it was actually Ned Leeds. For some reason that clone didn't die at the end of that arc. Like all the clones just pretty much like just disappeared. Just like just ended up just dying. Cause like they weren't real. Like, They're just like faulty except for this yeah. one. And he just kept living in the streets and he just couldn't help, couldn't help himself to go back to Betty think that he was just going to die anyway. So he just starts like thinking back on that night and it's like, well, fuck. I got to tell her, I got to like come clean to her and like at the very least let her know. Cause the whole reason why she's back in town is like, she's, is because she's going to meet him to just, just like say the news at least like, or they, they had, they had a plan to not meet up until it was closer for like the baby to come. And it was just pretty much like that week now. Again, also Betty fucking goddamn like had did some questionable choices where she flew said <laughs> hella preggers and then met up with Peter Parker at said coffee shop and they both had coffee and never, not once was it ever said that she was drinking at least decaf. So <laughs> bad mom, Betty, that's it. Anyway, um, Teresa just wants information um, back to Peter being at ESU because he still has a, a school life. They were working on that clairvoyant project with uh, at least like a, a colleague of his back in, uh, for, for this thing. And they yeah. really have it out. Like the thing's not working anymore only because next next callback um back in expenses 835 there was an explosion based on what happened because 20 spidey 2099 showed up and some shit happened again 30 issues ago i'm trying to remember exactly what happened um but there's a big I remember that that was the run that was the run i read oh I, yeah, that was that's when, right you did that pick up for a while. came up yeah. yeah so there's a big explosion that happened that was able to uh, like like re, uh release a lot of power for the clairvoyant to actually work for a while and it just hasn't since and his partner, had, one, was using it um, in arcades bit, not arcades bit. There was like a, a villain's casino, and he was coming up big on like a night. And then pretty much uh, the dude running the casino came back to collect. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chance. Chance came back to collect. <laughs> um, ah, God. There's just like a lot of things being set up. He basically has to work for him now. <laughs> uh, Silver, uh, there's a plot developing with Silver Sable. Um, and Chance might have a way to be able to replicate said power source for the clairvoyant, and so that he can use it now. Um, and then we come back to Peter Parker having wanting to confess about Ned Leeds to Betty. Only surprise, there's a very dashing, dapper-looking Ned Leeds already there waiting for them, right, waiting for him. Mm-hmm. So it's like, huh? Again, but again, it can't be. <clears throat> It can't be the chameleon right now because literally Ned Leeds, literally the next page is a whole Teresa with chameleon back in the prison 
having a whole bit. Um, and the whole thing, and the whole thing why I'm, Hey, Teresa, you can't kill me. I have the thing you want. I have, you want the answers about, uh, about parents, Teresa, um, who better kill than the man who killed them. Meet Carl fires, the finisher. <laughs> this might be the person who actually killed, um, the Parkers. Hmm. So yeah, the this arc is just starting. A lot of shit just developing. Um, again, the Silver Stable thing just came out of nowhere. <laughs> but yeah, that's just about it, Spidey for, for right now. Nice. Yeah, that happens a lot with Silver Stable. She just pops up, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially in, especially in Spider Man. She's just like, "Yep, I'm here." So actually, the last time we saw uh, the the arc we were talking about was 2099. That's the last time we saw Spidey's sister, and last time we saw Silver Stable. Oh shit, that's true. So, yep. So since then, fuck. Yep. That's interesting. They're all coming back at the same time. Um, awesome. And we're going to go ahead and move on to a couple solos for me. Hmm. Uh, yeah, we're going to start with Black Cat number seven. Ooh, okay. So it's the Gilded City conclusion. It's the conclusion to everything that has happened up to this point in both Black Cat runs. Including the, yeah, the previous run, yeah. Yes. So, written by friend of the show, Jed McKay, drawn by Michael Dowling, colored by Brian Reber, and lettered by Farron Delgado. Um, okay, I'll set up what happened before. Black Cat was working with uh, her mentor, Black Fox, and um, the whole thing was they were going to rob the New York Thieves Guild and their little um, vault full of money, basically, which is actually an extra dimensional space. This whole other dimension is where the money goes. So she, um, they get all this stuff together, including the deed to Manhattan, the original deed to Manhattan. And when they go there, they meet with this big golden god and the, the fox basically betrays her and says, uh, I'm going to trade you Manhattan so that me and her can be immortal. Basically we're taking immortality. And in the process, they they're betraying the New York city thieves guild because they already have immortality and he has to take it away from them to give it to them. Long story short, Felicia is not okay with this, but the Fox does it anyways. And then it's over. And so in the last issue, she went to the thieves guild to the leader of the thieves guild and was basically like, we need to work together because I don't want this to happen basically. So she teams up with Odessa Drake and, uh, her basically her thing is I need you to put me into the vaults and basically anything that goes in the vaults can't come out of the vaults is the, is the whole gimmick. And it opens with black cat and the Fox meeting on a pier. And this is labeled as now. So this is the conclusion and they're just talking. She's like, I apologize for trying to kill you. She's like, you traded a, basically you traded one and a half million people for your life and mine. And Fox is like, I like that Fox is unabashedly like, I'm a survivor, you know, like I don't want to die. Why would I want to die if I'm going to do what I have to do to survive? And then it flashes back to when she actually went into the, the vault. And there's a bunch of really cool shots, but just this one, you can see that's just gold as far as you can see. Damn. Yeah. And she talks about, you know, she, she's like, you may not think much about sending Manhattan to the vaults. You've never been there, but I have. And he's like, no, that's impossible. She's like, it's very possible. Anyone can go into the vaults. He's like, yeah, but it's getting out. That's the problem. And then she starts describing. She talks about how, like, there's so much money. It's like 
there's coins from like ancient China and Greece and Mesopotamia. Like this, this has been around way longer than people realize. She's like, there's even seashells from before people even use coin. And I'm like, that's cool. It's cool. Touch. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, you'd think it'd be exciting with all that around, but there's no thrill to all that loot. The vaults are a desert dead. Nothing lives there. Nothing can. I mean, what are you paying for? You know, like what does it pay for? Yeah. So, um, basically she needs to find the deed to Manhattan in this desert of wealth. Oh shit. And she finds it. And, uh, he's kind of like, how did you find it amongst all that? She's like, well, remember the, the nonsense with the queen cat, how we tracked her down. We put a tracking chip on all the loot. And so there was a tracking chip. So she was able to track it. She finds it. And then the gilded God, the gilded saint, I think it's what it's called. Shows up the big, uh, evil God of gold. And the one they made the partnership with. And she's like, listen, I've come to make a deal. And then it keeps coming back and forth between her and the fox and her and the saint. So the fox is like, what kind of deal? And then it goes back to the saint and goes, what kind of deal? <laughs> Which is really funny. She's like, first of all, I want out of Black Fox's deal. So she's no longer immortal. She's like, I was brought in without my consent. I don't want any part of it. He's like, all right, cool. That cost me nothing done. And she's like, secondly, I want to get out of here. And he's just like, you know, like, basically like she's like i want out of here he's like i don't want i don't I, I don't want to let you basically and she's like i'm gonna tell you ahead of time that the fox is gonna betray you like i'm giving you a heads up i'm giving you information he's going to double cross you and he's like no our bargain's binding he's like no he's gonna he has a way to invalidate your claim to manhattan he has a plan he always has a plan and he's like this is valuable and she's she's like yes yeah. so he's like so so free me and he's like what if you're wrong she's like then do your Persephone routine and bring me back here, which I thought was great. <laughs> so, so then it cuts back and it's her and Fox talking and he's, she's basically like, time's up. Sorry for what's, uh, she's like, I'm voiding your deal. I'm saving Manhattan. I'm sorry for what comes next. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Basically the deed remains in the vaults intact. I have no plans to play him false. And she's like, well, yeah. And then it shows the, the deed in the vault. And it's got a tiny explosive on it where she put it. Ooh. And she said, the saint doesn't know that. <laughs> and it blows up and destroys destroys the deed. Oh, shit. So the saint thinks the fox betrayed him. Yeah. And drags the fox into the vault. Oh. And as he's been drug away, he says, very clever, darling. Very clever indeed. I've never been more proud of you. And she says, I love you, fox. He goes, I love you too, Felicia. <laughs> it's like, ugh. And then... She meets with uh, the chick from the guild and they're basically like, well, we work together, you know, it's just like, what are we going to do? And then, so they're just talking on a roof and slowly, slowly, they start making out on the roof. Yeah. So she's literally hooking up with the head of the thieves guild. (laughs) And she refers to her as, do I see a future with Odessa Drake, the beautiful woman with her own obsessions? No. She's like, but we saved the city today, the two of us. And sometimes for one night, that's enough. I love this book. What a great run. Jed McKay, just doing a <laughs> wonderful job. So, yeah, good stuff. I don't normally go into too much detail about these, but that was the end of the arc, and it was just really good. It was, it was one of my favorite books. So, speaking of an end of arc, Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, number six. Josue, man. <laughs> Written by Larry Hama, drawn by Dave Wachter, colored by Naraj Manon, letter by Travis Lanham. I got this variant cover. Oh, that's cool. So if you remember from last time, Okoye has the chi of all these dragons. Oh, shit, yeah. And Iron Fist has the Iron Fist. 
and they have to take out the bad guy. And they're fighting him, and they can't quite defeat him. Uh, her spear doesn't have enough power. Mm-hmm. So the little girl that's with them has a little little baby dragon that she takes care of, and that dragon sacrifices itself to give her another dragon heart worth of chi that would give her enough to do it. And then she's fighting and still not quite enough. And this is, this is such a major change to the Marvel universe. I can't wait to see where this plays out. What? Um, They're like, "Eh, you know, we're done. Um, We, uh, we let's make our last stand, but there's nothing else we can do. And then he tells Okoye, you're wrong. We have this. And he grabs her hand. And. What? He gives Okoye the iron fist. No shit. Oh my God. He's like, between the iron fist and the dragon chi, you can take down the bad guy, basically. And he runs at her and she sets her spear to the charge. Uh huh. Which everybody who plays D&D knows what that's about. And then punches him with the iron fist. She's like, I now invoke the power of the iron fist. I tear your I tear asunder your wicked heart and liberate the captured chi. Boom. Everybody like all all the powers go back and everything. But here's the thing. You can't just take back the iron fist. That's not how it works. <laughs> Okoye is now the iron fist. No. <laughs> so Danny's like, you know. And then so they're talking about the baby dragon that gave his heart and the the goddess of healing basically turns him into an egg and when the egg heal when the egg hatches he'll be the new holy dragon of the heavenly cities basically <laughs> and then she's like and the cool thing is is if you look okoye's head is tattooed with the iron fist oh that's how it Simple. comes out oh my god it's so cool <laughs> okay so i don't want you to get too excited though because he's like she's like it's time to return the iron fist to you he's like that's not the way it works it's yours now Mm-hmm. He goes, and anyway, I wasn't all that good at it in the first place. <laughs> so She's like, this is not my destiny. I have obligations to Wakanda. I was honored. I am honored to be worthy of the, be custodian these powers in the dire time, but it's the right thing to do to pass them on to a more permanent guardian. And so what they do is they put the iron fist into the dragon egg. Oh. So and so no can... one's the Iron Fist. And oh. remember, Iron Fist got his powers by plunging his fist into the heart of a dragon. Into the next dragon. So, aww. It's his full circle. And then Luke says, uh, he says, I don't care if your fist is no longer a nightlight. You're still my bro, Danny Rand. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? And he's like, live it to the fullest. Nice. And that's the end of the series. Ah, uh, that's really fucking cool. I don't know, man. I was, I was like, I got genuinely emotional. I was like, no, Danny. <laughs> like, it's one of my favorite heroes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh. But really, really good. Really great run up. Um, I'm curious to see if they're going to do something with it. Maybe we'll get a different Iron Fist, which would be cool. Yeah. Danny's still going to be one of the, fi- the best fighters on the planet. You know, he's still one of the best oh, martial sure. artists ever. Like, obviously not as good as Shang-Chi, but still. <laughs> um, all right. Next up, my next solo book. And last solo book, actually. Star Wars, War of the Bounty Hunters, number one. Okay, <laughs> so you guys know that I read Dr. Afra and I love it. It's very, very good. Mm-hmm. And um, it has started a crossover right now. And mind you, this takes place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, where Han Solo has already been frozen in carbonite and taken away. So, basically, Boba Fett ha- has frozen Han Solo and it's stolen from him. And now all the bounty hunters in the universe are trying to find it, right? Um, 
<laughs> so let me do the creative team real quick before I jump too deep into it because I have I have I have feelings. I um, initially already have a thought. <laughs> I, I I told you specifically what the big shock, and I can't wait to talk about it. But written by Charles Soule, so right there, you know this is going to be wonderful. Yeah, illustrated by Luke Ross, colored by Naraj Manon, and letter by Travis Lanham. So. Basically, there's there's a bounty actually put on Boba Fett by uh, Jabba because Jabba thinks he sold it to the other people, mm-hmm. and so Boba's being attacked by. And this is where you you really try to see who is the biggest Star Wars nerds in the world. He's attacked by Zuckus and Forlom, so <laughs> which are two bounty hunters that nerds know basically. <laughs> and so he has to fight them off and stuff. And he's like, "Why'd you put a bounty on me?" And they're like, "Well." Jabba thought you sold it to the other people. He's like, no, they sold it. He's like, oh, no, I'm, I'll get it back. <laughs> Basically. So, um, in the end, we don't know who stole him. And we see this, this whole thing where it's going to touch all the different angles of the Star Wars universe, uh, including um, uh, Vallis and Dangar. We got uh, Darth Vader's book coming into play. We get Dr. Afra. We see Jabba looking at it. We also see the Rebel Alliance where we see the backs of Luke and Leia talking about it as well. Cool. And the person who took him, he's talking, she's talking to somebody and she has her cloak up and she says, Han always wanted to save me. She pulls back her cloak and says, now he'll get his chance. And it's Kira (laughs) from the solo movie. And as someone who, I'm not prepared to commit to this statement 100% because <laughs> I don't prepare to commit to most Star Wars statements 100%, but Solo's probably my favorite Star Wars movie. Ooh. It probably is. It's it's so great standalone. It's like a heist movie mixed with a Western. It's so good. It was a like, lot. It took me forever to finally watch it, and it was very enjoyable. It was a lot better than everybody gave a shit for, and it was a yeah. lot better than I thought it was going to be. And Alden Ehrenreich did a great job as Solo. People yeah. were really worried. They were like, oh, he had to take acting lessons. I'm like, so? That means he's going to be good. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. It means he's trying at least. Shit. So I'm very excited for this. I I, I was kind of like wishy-washy because I don't read the Star- the Darth Vader book. I don't read the yeah. Boba Fett book. You know? mm-hmm. I was like, eh, I'll give the first issue a shot. As soon as I saw her pop up, I'm like, well, I'm in. Like, so it's just going to be about Han, yeah. which is great. So what do you think? Um, well, my initial reaction was, why do they have to do this to Boba Fett? Like, they just made him cool again in Mandalorian. And now you're telling me that before his whole Sarlacc pit fuck up, he fucking lost best. I mean, he lost Solo before getting there. Uh, he's supposed to be the most badass bounty hunter. And he, <laughs> I mean, okay. Well, he still is. He just, you know. <laughs> shit I, happens he's I not just, perfect <laughs> i thought it was a done deal getting from episode five to six to java yo here's solo nope there's a whole thing where he had a big old oopsie the funny thing is is i normally don't like when they add in like a quick story between two established spots like you know between these two movies for instance yeah. right i normally don't like that not just in star wars just in general but i actually like this one because i think it's a good spot to do it yeah, you know, I mean, like, uh, at the very least, like giving a shot to spin in solo, um, that, that that's really cool that for for someone like Kira. Yeah, and I mean, I I saw Amelia Clark actually reacted really strongly when she when she when nice. it was revealed. She was really happy 
because I think she understood that there was a lot more to say about that character mm-hmm. that we didn't get a movie. And for again, people who like solo, this is, Hey, we might actually get another movie if this really takes off, you know? So I, I would love that. The only problem is, is that if we're telling this story late in his life, what can we possibly tell? You know, what, what can we go back and tell? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, but at least it's getting told in one way. I know Liz is going to be very excited because Star Wars is every solo is definitely her favorite Star Wars movie. We oh, talked cool. about that. So, yeah, um, really, really dug it though. Um, I'm definitely in on the long run for that. <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't cross over too much to the other books, as far as having to buy them because I don't know if I can do that. But yeah, we'll <laughs> see. But yeah, that ends our solo books. Now we're going to talk about the books we share and. There are three flavors of books we share. The first flavor is non-stop Spider-Man number three. <laughs> okay, so creative team. And we'll do it in non-stop Spider-Man fashion as quickly as possible. <laughs> as quickly and incomprehensibly as possible. <laughs> Joe Kelly writing, Chris Boccolo penciling, Jamie Mendoza inking, and along with John Livesay, Alve, Wayne Falker, Tim Townsend. Uh, colored by Marcio Meniz and lettered by Travis Lanham. Okay. I just, I, I've said it before, but I just love Chris Bacalo's Spider-Man. Oh yeah, I, I just love it. I love, I love the way he draws side characters. Like you know, in this case, uh, I, I love how he drew the bad guys. Yes. Um, and I really like how he draws Nora Winters. I, I love Nora Winters. She's an underrated character in the Spider-Man. Very, so. very, very, and such a great character. Yeah. So basically, we're following up on the drug that you know smart kids have been using and the whole thing where their intelligence is getting drained away. And basically this entire issue is Spider-Man fighting the the Zapata brothers. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting because it did kind of remind us at the beginning, all these kids that are dying or getting, you know, having overdoses and stuff, they are minorities. Yes. They're people of color. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And I was like, wait, these guys are like luchadors, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, wouldn't they have an issue with that? And that's the whole plot of this, which is really cool because I thought like, oh, yeah, that seems like a plot hole. But then it was actually really the reason for the whole thing. So um, basically, in the end, they found out what's going on. And they're like, it kind of reminds me of the end of From Dusk Till Dawn. I don't know if you remember From <laughs> Dusk Till Dawn. But where... Um, it's just George Clooney and uh, Juliette Lewis, the only two survivors. Yeah. She's like, do you want me to come with you? He goes... I may be a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. <laughs> and that's why I imagine these guys being like, all right, we're, we're not that bad, right? <laughs> like, like, so I, that was really cool. And it made me like them a lot as a characters. So, um, but yeah, and we're getting closer and closer to that Spider-Man Zemo confrontation. Uh, what did you think? Uh, yeah, it was definitely bonkers. I, I do. I do enjoy that. This sticks to its name. Yeah. Maybe, maybe just, five percent more of a fleshed out story <laughs> but i get that that's, that's what this is because i mean at the same time i'm struggling to put this into like shorter words um, the regular yeah. amazing spider-man because that's just nothing but plot development development until the next big ass reveal but this one is everything that i love about joe kelly is everything i love about chris uh Bacolo, and it's everything i love about spider-man yeah and it's yet, fun. it is so much fun. And yeah, but like when the reveal, like when it comes to them, and it's just like a job is a job until it's not, and it's like, oh, cool. Like, like I did, fuck, I did like that turn. And then you have just like a what the fuck moment because again, like, why would this book stop? It it literally takes a breath right there, 
and then it's like the book remembers and it's like oh yeah we took a pause for too long let's 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 crank it up like five six fucking notches and like <laughs> what the fuck is this i feel like i'm looking at a, at a page from um ultra mega it just gets that, that weird and then yeah getting closer to the, to the zemo confrontation and yeah it's it, it's a fucking fun book yeah it's great and i do like the fact that nora is the one who actually solves the problem in the end yes like He's too busy punching. <laughs> that she's well, like, he's you too fucking going tired on. too. It's almost like he can't because yeah. he hasn't been able, been able to stop. But at the same time, I like that because like they are smarter. It's like the whole time he's just trying to evade, and he he is outsmarting them. But like it's like the fact that they're just keeping up with him. Like because like they're at this point they're just learning just as fast. Um, no, it, yeah. it made for a cool book. There was like three or four times I was like, oh, he got away, and then it's like, nope, <laughs> they're yeah. there. Like I was like, oh, this is gonna keep going, and it did, and I liked it because it did kind of like, like the thing that would have worked before isn't working. Mm-hmm. That's the whole story of it that they are smarter, and so he had to find a different way, and in the end, he didn't find the way. You know, like, yeah. that was kind of cool. So, yeah, um, awesome. So that was our first flavor of Marvel. So uh, combo books. Now we're going to talk about the second flavor, and that's three books of Heroes Reborn. <laughs> uh, let's just start with the main series. Fuck it, cool. Heroes Reborn number five. Yeah, uh, creative team written by Jason Aaron. Let me pull it up here. There we go. Written by Jason Aaron. Uh, the main story is drawn by RM Guerra and colored by uh, Julia Brusco. And the backstory, the the one in the back, is penciled by Ed McGinnis, inked by Mark Morales, colored by Matt Wilson, and everything is lettered by Corey Petit. So in this issue, as with every issue, we're basically getting introduced to different members of the squadron. Each issue has been about a different squadron, or different member of the squadron. And this one is Nighthawk, which is their equivalent of Batman but also a little bit of a Spider-Man thrown into it. Oh yeah. Um, but mo- mostly Batman. It's yeah. pretty clear to say it's mostly Batman. Um, and Josue, as the inexperienced squadron fan, I want to kick it to you first. What did you think? This is such a great Batman issue. Uh, like right now I'm not, I'm not <laughs> reading Batman, but there's actually such a fresh take on like what's going on in Batman right now. So <laughs> it was really like just the style is like grim batman and, i love grim batman and like we've been saying like oh man this this whole event has just been like just throwing the finger poking fine but this issue actually did like a, a good homage to it like as, as someone who does collect like my, i do have my fair share of scott snyder batman issues this felt like such an homage to that and i just i did i did thoroughly enjoy it and then throwing in the spin of like the spidey rogues because it's like the plethora of batman rogues but it's like how do we tie them in yeah, the closest thing is like the Spider-Man rogues and it's like, let's put those together. It was really cool. Yeah. Like the, the whole journey into their Arkham Ravencroft-esque uh, journey was, was was really cool. Again, like a very Batman-y issue. If, if, you, if you know your Batman stories diving into Arkham and then the shenanigans that ensues, it's right fucking here. And, but with the Marvel take on it. Yeah. And I do like that he um, he's also getting the whole like you know, this isn't real, like, hints. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and we get some more drops of the whole Mephisto thing. Right. Yeah. Now, I, I, and then, I did like the, oh, his position, like his political position, his Bruce Wayne, like, if you will. I don't know his name here. But his Bruce Wayne persona, it's like, I, I like his position in power being uh, 
the representative for DC that has yes. no power. Yeah, I <laughs> right. love that too. Actually, but at the very least, like he actually has a like an office position, which is something that isn't really done in like a, for for a superhero. There, they have yeah. like a pilot position or but or some sort of office, but never that high up to actually do something about a status quo change. If you can do, if you can have enough votes. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I really liked it. Um, and it was really really good. Don't get me wrong, but. What we need to talk about is the backup issue, <laughs> um, because at the end, as as we know, Blade and Captain America have been slowly recruiting a team of Avengers, and this time it's Ronan, mm-hmm. and Ronan is fighting. Uh, was he fighting Darkhawk? Right? Was it? I think he was. Let me let me pull it back up. He was fighting. Just completely blanked out. Yeah, it was it was Darkhawk. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's fighting or Nighthawk, not Darkhawk. Nighthawk. My bad. Sorry. Um. So he's fighting Nighthawk, and he manages to uh, get away, and teleports away, and it's just like, oh no. And then the cool thing is, is he re or Ronan reappears in Northeast Africa, and the cloaking starts coming off, and who is it? But T'Challa. <laughs> so I love the idea of him being Ronan. That was a really cool idea. Oh fuck yeah. So. And then basically Cap is like, we're going to recruit you too. So slowly but surely, we're learning about one side while the other time's side's building. And we do know the next issue is going to be about Zarda, who I really, really like. So I'm kind of curious to see where that goes. Um, that's not the only book we have from Heroes Reborn, because of course it's not. Uh, the next one is going to be Marvel Double Action, number yes. one. There's... there's tongue-in-cheek and then there's this (laughs) uh, this is very much a classic 70s like comic 70s 60s era comic and they very much did it in a reprint style and the editor's notes at the bottom we just let's just address that right now yes we're hilarious they're constantly referring to comics that don't exist (laughs) which was really really fun so um Basically, we get the classic story, much like the often reprinted Gwen Stacy's death. We get the death of the Falcon. And it's very much a, again, it's really on the nose, but in a great way. <laughs> uh, what did you think? Um, this was one I was, when I first was looking at all the, the checklist for this event, it was one I didn't really consider. In fact, I, yeah. I, in fact, I really wasn't going to skip it up until last week, until I saw the creative team. <laughs> yeah thank you for reminding me so written by one of our favorite writers on the planet tim seeley yeah um <laughs> penciled by dan jurgens doing a marvel book <laughs> like i know this is like a pastiche of like dc books but dan jurgens used to write those dc books <laughs> <laughs> or, or draw them so i'm kind of like wow you know like uh scott hannah inking chris sotomayor uh coloring and Corey petite lettering so yeah, and it's it's very much set like that kind of style. Um, and we get this version of Norman Osborn and Harry Osborn. We get to see Gwen, um, which we saw in the last issue, but I didn't really even like the Gwen in that issue. So uh, yeah, and the whole thing about Nighthawk, you know, struggling not to give into his base urges to kill, and it was just like this dramatic thing of every every time we have this, you know, like that's just the way these stories are told now, mm-hmm. and. It's just funny to see it like, again, tongue in cheek. Yeah. Very tongue in cheek, but done in a really great way. And it, again, 
with Tim Seeley, I don't think it would be nearly as funny if it wasn't Tim. Oh, I know. And knowing that it was him writing, it was like, this is just like, it just, it's making the book as like knowing his humor. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, but what I actually so thought about this book, it was just like, I like how they've been approaching this event where like every week the tie-ins will have to do in and around what the main book was about or like the, 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 the squadron Supreme character of that week. Yes. They've been doing a really good job of timing that out. Yeah. So in this case, our Nighthawk is supposed to be a, a Batman. So we're telling the death of the, like, of the Falcon. So it's almost what the death in the family with Robin. But again, throwing in the the Spider Man lore or the Spider Man rogues into it. To, so mm-hmm. we use the death of Gwen Stacy, and it's just like it was just it just mirrored so well, like the the way they're just like almost like yeah, so tongue in, tongue in cheek, but it just works so well on how, on how everything just like is able to work out again, like. The Joker being Norman Osborn. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, it was fun. It was just a lot of fun. And yeah, I think it was a good addition to the story they're trying to tell. So mm-hmm. uh, next up, we got American Knights. Oh, yes. Uh, so I got this cover. Oh, sick. Oh, so good. Cover A. Yeah. Um, nice. So this one is written by Paul Grist, uh, drawn with. Chris Allen and Mark Deering, colored by Guru EFX and lettered by Paul Chris or Corey Petit. I don't know why Chris <laughs> is twice. Um, so this is the Luke Cage story, and he's the gritty cop. He's basically the Commissioner Gordon. Yes. Uh, so again, the running um, theme of the week for for this uh, this event. Yeah, exactly. So um, he's doing the Commissioner Gordon thing, and he's also uh, I think he's more interesting because he's Luke Cage. Uh, so um, and. Uh, how do we address this? How do you feel about how they treated our boy Daredevil on this? I mean, it's a spin on it. It's like, it wasn't a bad one. <laughs> I, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. Yeah. And was it because like, I know how Catholic he can very much be in his, yeah. in a lot of his <laughs> times. I think that's why I was expe- uh, uh, accepting of it in, in this take, if you will. Um, I, I was just surprised that they, that they, restored his eyesight i thought they would, they would at least keep him blind yeah i guess he never sacrificed himself you know to help someone so oh, that's true but uh, i really i really enjoyed it i i will i'm pretty much a sucker for a luke cage story like you pretty much got me when you say luke cage um so sorry i, I didn't I, enjoy- I think it just clicked for me why it kind of works for me on why like he's like that super brutal and like again like the scene later where in, in the hospital it's because there wasn't a Punisher to remind him, you know? So I think, so I think he always just took that extra step. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I did, I did really enjoy it though. I, I thought it was really good. Um, it was a good backstory. Once again, if we're going with a Nighthawk week, that's a good one to do. Yeah. Um, we also got appearances from Jessica Jones and Misty Knight, which was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it was just an overall fun book. Uh, and it's, it's an ideal one shot for this kind of situation, especially so. for something that Marvel hasn't done. And they're, they're actually trying to allude to Marvel Knights into this. Yeah. It's like, Oh, at least you remember the, you remember that line. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So awesome. So that takes us to our final flavor of Marvel Oh, fuck. <laughs> and the event of the season, the thing we have been waiting for before we knew it existed. And we we're are there. going to, and we're we're there. We are there on Krakoa for the Hellfire Gala. Three books, all of them great. Spoiler alert: they're all good. <laughs> First off, we're going to talk about, and normally, normally, 
you guys know I'm very picky about my X-Men order. <laughs> but I'm not going to do it. I'm doing it in reading order this week. It has so. to be. <laughs> Marauders, number 21. Josue, I got. Yes. I got. Ooh. And I got. And I got. Oh, oh. How did I not buy this one? <laughs> and it's cool because you don't see that that outfit because she's it, refer- it references that she's gonna go change and you just see almost like the yeah. top of it, but you don't get to see the whole glamour shot. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So I'm gonna bag these two variants away and never touch them again. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so Marauders, as always, written by Gary Dugan. Uh, in this case, uh, artist is Matteo Lolly. We got Delga Duck himself, Edgar Delgado, and Corey Petit. So, we get to see the beginning of the Hellfire Gala, finally. And Emma goes through her costume changes, as we know. Um, it's just so much fun. <laughs> the dumbest okay. Avengers. Oh my god, how embarrassing. So, I, liked, I liked your tweet about that. So, the Avengers are invited and show up and show up in costume. <sighs> Instead of in fancy dress. And you would think at least Oh no, now that I look at the now that I look at the uh roster, none of them would really have the sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, She Hulk, no, Captain Marvel, she wouldn't dare. Like she might like to dress up, but that's about I mean it, Blade know? maybe like a leather daddy suit, keep it a little more tight, lose the coat, lose the yeah, sword. Just kinda like to look good, you know? So But everybody else no. <laughs> so Here's the thing. We can't sit here and pick this entire book apart because I'll I'll take an hour. Oh, on this man. This, this, it's our show. Fuck it. <laughs> but the one thing I will say is there's a bunch of guest stars, a fuckload of guest stars mm-hmm. and beyond what you would imagine. So host, we mentioned the Avengers. Fantastic Four show up. And Reed says something to Xavier that we don't get to hear, which went around the Internet a while ago. I don't care because Reed is terrible, so he has no way talking down to anybody. Um, okay, but after and, last week, after last week, what Xavier said, uh-uh. Like, yeah. this, whole, this whole little drama between them, like, they both deserve it, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Then Tony shows up, oh and he has God. a little thing with, with Quentin Quire, which is in two books. And Tony's an asshole because, of course, he is. Doom shows up. Yeah. Which I thought was cool. They're inviting a bunch of people, you know, like, that. I'm like, no, that's interesting. And then some ambassadors show up. Now, right below the ambassadors there is our first hint that there's going to be real-life celebrities in this book. <laughs> That's Patton Oswalt. Oh, no shit. Okay. I, That's 100% Patton Oswalt. <laughs> I was going with Ben Yurick just because of the glasses. No, I'm, I'm almost certain that's Patton Oswalt and his wife. That's awesome. So, <laughs> um, then a dude from AIM shows up. <laughs> Like, it's just a bunch of people show up. I love Dr. Strange showing up being like, finally, I'm underdressed. Yes. <laughs> like, wonderful. And basically, they they show up. Emma's like, I'm going to give a speech. Here's the first of many Hellfire Galas, which Beast was upset about. He's like, I thought this was the only one. Um, and then they introduce Rhapsody, who is a uh, mutant who could basically play any instrument as perfectly as, you know, as if she just picked it up. She goes up and she plays an instrument that was grown on Krakoa. That's so cool. And then using uh, Rachel and the Stepfords, basically they mind link everybody except Doom <laughs> and presumably <laughs> Tony um, to basically play along so they feel what it feels like to be a master musician, which would be like so awesome. Like that would be really cool. You know, like I was like, oh. Like to just play a masterpiece and to actually say, I fucking nailed that. 
to feel that yeah. like oh my god yeah and then at the same time some of the ambassadors are starting to have plans mm-hmm. and they're starting to talk amongst themselves specifically the ones from russia and madripoor and uh you know the verindi you know like so yeah um and then we cut of course to the marauders on the boat and even though Iceman's like well, I, you know, I assumed this was on the boat, but it might just be at the at the ball. Yeah, I think it's just at the ball. I'm just used to them being on a boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so, uh, but they're, they're literally just playing dice, which is great. Pyro and everybody. And Thing shows up. He's like, finally something I actually want to do. <laughs> and calls, it's gambling time, which is pretty funny. She's like, shorts then we get, thing? Shorts? Uh-huh. Yeah, and then we get my favorite thing that probably happens in this book. Ooh. Which is Emma and Banshee. Oh. Like my little teenage heart exploded because <laughs> I loved Gen X and they don't really put them together anymore. Like, and then we get a little tease that somebody didn't come that was invited with Banshee. So that was interesting. And then we get to see Cap and Doom and they don't like each other, obviously. <laughs> um, we get to see the Shi'ar representative who, after, after Emma is basically like, you act like we've announced we've conquered Earth. Shi'ar is like, Shi'ar Empire congratulates you on conquering your home planet. <laughs> Doom starts <laughs> laughing. It's great. So, but yeah, there's, there's obviously some things going on. There's so much that happens here that we don't know yet. Yeah. So, for instance, the Cuckoos find something in Wilhelmina's head. She's one of the, the Hellfire Brat kids. And they're like, she doesn't know about it. Should we help her? And I guess it's great. Tell no one that they'll run it. Let's begin. Make her remember. And then she goes, oh, and then we don't see her again. Yeah. I'm wondering what's going on there. That's going to be interesting. Uh, we see some other um, other obvious uh, celebrities. Like, this is clearly Seth Meyers. Like, there's, there's, a bunch of, <laughs> like, there's a bunch of that. Later on, uh, if I remember to point it out, there's a very obvious shot of Conan O'Brien. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Henry Gyrick even shows up, which is great. Um, also, I love that Emma's like, you know, Captain America never did it for me, but something about him talking to Doom like that. <laughs> and then she like pokes into his head and she's like, oh, I remind him of his mother. Oh, God. <laughs> like, so. And so, yeah, she and basically like Emma's like, everybody get around tonight. We're bringing the entire world together. And then we get the credit page halfway through the fucking book. Yeah. And then it's over, and we have no idea what fucking happened. And it's awkward. And they're all talking about it like, wow, that's incredible. And like, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, but some people are like, that's horrible. And then we do see Emma in that outfit yeah. right there. So, um, and we see Cyclops in his horrible looking visor. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> like, Jumbo just but, was but running. But you know what? <laughs> it's very Cyclops, which I love. Jumbo was just so. running on fumes for Cyclops. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And then um, they're all like, hey, what are we going to do? And then they're all like, yeah, you know, we're going to have to think about it. So they don't really tell us. And then it, it ends. Yeah. And and I hate them because I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I fucking love it. I, I love this. I love the preface. Yeah. I love being like, oh, it's, it's kind of unsettling. At least like there's going to be some players to make it unsettling. Title card. It's over. The the event is going to be the in between, and oh my god, because there's still so much more. <laughs> oh no, man! 
I also love the fact that they put the the old Hellfire story from Chris Claremont. Oh yeah, and I definitely had to read it because something I, I I had never had. So it's like, ooh, cool. Just just understand that era it. of X Men is so good. And honestly, it just seems so fucking complicated. Not complicated, but just like plot heavy. And it's like, this is cool. This is kind of like the how manga feels now with like a long overarching story. Because <laughs> yeah, so. at the end of it, at the end of it, it was like it was all this plot developing, all this like Hellfire bullshit, and at the end, Enter Phoenix. It's like, oh, but, well, okay, I guess that's where this <laughs> happens. Yeah, because for those who don't know, the Hellfire Club is the reason Jean went Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. They made her, basically. So it's, yeah, they're still paying for that. So, all right, next issue. X-Force, <laughs> number 20. Josue, I got... Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, cover A. I got... The costumes. <laughs> and I got... And I got... I couldn't pass it up. <laughs> you, you saw the Emma one. Yeah. I had to get the kitty. Oh one. no, she's awesome. Yeah. Okay, she's fucking so, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So let's put those variants away. <laughs> All right. X Force number twenty, written by Benjamin Percy, uh, drawn. I'm trying to find the thing, but I think it's Joshua Casara. Yeah, Joshua Casara. Color by Guru FX and letter by Joe Cara Magda. So X Force is working security, <laughs> which makes a lot of sense. Uh, so they get to participate, but at the same time, not be front and center, which is good. We'll talk about who doesn't get to participate later, um, so, <laughs> but, but then does. Uh, so we get to see the uh, Quentin Choir thing from, uh, with, with Tony from another perspective, which is cool. Um, basically, we see Sage is like operating things. And here's the thing. Me and Josue are on edge because we know something happens at the crossover. And we know at least somebody dies. Yeah. So we're very upset and we're we're wondering when it's gonna happen. And they, they fuck with us a couple times in this book. <laughs> so um for those who don't know, Sage is one of my favorite X-Men. Um, and one day we'll talk about why. Um, probably on our other show, spoilers. Ooh. Um but basically we find out if you guys remember the story in X Force where there was that uh South American country in, Ter- in Terra Verde that was taken over by the plant people. And basically beast has what's the word um, pacified them. And so he's like, yeah, those are the people from Terra Verde. Yeah, trust me. I know exactly what I'm doing. And so Sage is upset. She doesn't get to do things. All these ambassadors from Terra Verde are meeting with everybody else and shaking their hands and they're passing their little thing along and they're slowly but surely infecting everybody there. And I'm like, well, that's not good. And Sage knows, Beast knows. I don't think anyone else knows. And then Wolverine's like, hey, someone's, he's, he's the one patrolling the shore. He's like, I got a problem on the South Shore. And it's Deadpool. Of course, it's Deadpool. <laughs> um, Deadpool shows up. Is like you can't have a party without me. And then him and Wolverine fight. And then uh, I'll come back to what happens in the other room. We'll just finish the oh, Deadpool yeah. part. Domino shows up of all people and just drops Wade because of course she does. And I love that they have a pass. It's just fun. So, um, yeah, that pretty much resolves that. Now back to Sage. Sage is sitting there, and Emma shows up behind her with champagne in her hand. And her eyes all black and says is something wrong darling and then they cut away and i'm like if sage is the one that dies i'm gonna fucking wreck this place mm. and 
then Emma, it's a, it's a dodge. Emma's just like, hey, I know what you're fucking doing with the Terra Verde people. And basically, she's like, stop it. Basically, like, get them the fuck out of here. I'll deal with Beast on my own. And she does actually imply that Beast is who will answer to the Quiet Council. So I'm kind of like, oh, thank God. Like, he has been gone too far, you know. But then something happens yeah. to the, the people and they mutate. Uh, so they start becoming like plants. And that story is going to be continued in Wolverine 13. I hate this. And then I don't know if you noticed. Did you notice the info page at the end? Uh-huh. It's just a Deadpool quote. Oh, yes. You know you want it. You know you want me in you, X-Force. <laughs> <laughs> like, God damn it. <laughs> so... Fuck no! This was shit. I mean, like, it, I, I was pretty outspoken, uh, being kind of bummed out them soliciting the trial of Magneto, kind of almost like a spoiler, being like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's not cool. Like, I already know, kind of expecting the end of it again, not, yeah. not knowing, not reading it or anything. But what a great way last week with the whole X Men issue and the whole Nimrod thing is like fuck to just that to have that hangover going into the Hellfire Gala when I thought it was when it was supposed to be fun. What a great move. And I was like, like I was like, I was kind of like, see that that's that's kind of what I meant, like to kind of save that moment to now have that eerie factor. But now, holy shit, there's so many things being played out at this party that are just so wrong. And yeah, Beast is just continuing to be the constant dark beast, and it's forever going to be that. He's always been a monster. It's like I don't dislike him the way like with, like with Jubilee or you with Storm. But at arms, yeah, I don't like... hate Storm anymore. <laughs> Storm, I Storm, I didn't like because of the movies. Oh, okay, oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. I, I wasn't a Halle Berry fan. Okay, well, that's fine. Then but I, I like Alexander Ship in the newer movie. She was great. Uh, but yeah, but but Beast to me is just like at arms length, buddy, <laughs> at yeah. all times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's he's he's like two steps away from doing something really questionable always. So. <laughs> And he's the one. He's the one X Men that can really justify to himself. It's okay. It's for the science. Yes. God it's damn it. Like he's he's like the opposite of Nightcrawler. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that brings us to our last book, and that's Hellions. I actually only got this cover. Oh, okay. At least that's they were cool. They were sold out of the other ones. So um, best soap opera. Fucking love the- these, these. There's so much fun. Okay, written by Zeb Wells, drawn by Steven Segovia, colored by David Curiel, and lettered by Dar- uh, da- or Ariana Mayer. Okay, so we find out that not all the Hellions get to go. The only Hellions that are going are Sinister, Havoc, and Polaris. Sinister is just so douchey, and I love it. Throughout the entire book, Sinister is just the worst. Oh, um, I know. Havoc's outfit is just ridiculous. <laughs> but I actually liked his outfit. But God damn oh i know <laughs> holy shit does kwan and look hot like i hear you Greco. so she comes out she's looking gorgeous Greco is like blown away and he's like nice dress and he's like anyone else need a drink so we got the rest of them which is orphan maker nanny wild child empath and gray crow basically aren't allowed to go because they're so terrible <laughs> no one wants them there and then in the end they decide fuck it let's go anyways <laughs> so they go to the party and they crash the party and in this one we do get uh some more some more cameos a lot more of the uh the x-men uh you actually can see um if you look in the backgrounds you can actually see a manifold and a couple other characters show up oh, God, manifold looks a lot. so yeah um 
but Alex is basically trying to narrow down Xavier to be like, can you please bring Madeline back to life? And no, he's, like, no it's not even that. He just wants to know why not. That's it. Yeah. And then he just gets Madeline. <laughs> he just gets blown <laughs> off. Because she's the worst person of all the people. <laughs> so, um, Sinister is just smoozing with people. <laughs> and then, okay. I'll 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 ask I'll just simply ask this Husway. Of of the Hellions who crashed the party, who was your MVP and why was it Nanny? Oh my god, <laughs> Nanny just going ape shit on a day off was just so fucking funny. This shot right here was Sinister smoozing and she shows up and he's like, Oh dear God, like, <laughs> that killed me. Like and then that's when she decides to reveal, you know. He's an abductor, abuser, murderer of children. He's like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like trying to play it off. Like, oh, yeah. I guess you're right. As far as party MVP goes, and Nanny took the cake. Because other than that, like, it was God, just like Wild Child just had just had a rough night. So, you guys know I'm an X Factor fan. Yes. And uh, one of the runs of X Factor, if you take aside the the two Peter David runs, mm-hmm. and you take aside the Simonson run. My favorite run was this era of X Factor when Wild Child was a member, uh. um, and it was it was meant to be kind of like a mutant Thunderbolts. It was like mm-hmm. villains being reformed. Okay, so it was like Mystique, uh, Wild Child. Um, I want to say Sabretooth was a member at the time. Um, a couple others. Uh, Shard Bishop's sister. Okay, uh, a hologram of her was a member. It was a really weird time, um, but it was really cool, and I really liked it. And um, at the time, see, Wild Child's mutation changes sometimes. Sometimes he's more human, and he's, like, really statuesque and hot. <laughs> and then sometimes he looks like this. And there's an issue, and it's one of my favorite issues. It's one of my favorite non-Peter David issues of X-Factor ever, where he runs into Aurora. And for those who don't know much about Aurora, she has very bad mental issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has breakdowns constantly. And so she was having a really bad time, and he was in a really good... No, actually, he was really deformed at the time, but he was like happy with who he was. And they had they had a meeting, and it was this whole thing where it had to be decided that they weren't good for each other. and It was, it was just really sad. And so I love when that kind of stuff gets acknowledged, and we get this sad thing where he runs into Aurora, and he's just like, hey, it's good to see you. And she's just like, this is really confusing. I got to go. And it's just like a poor wild child. Like, uh. like him asking her to dance. Like he looks so too fucking pretty right there. Yeah. And, then, and then the whole thing, cause like, don't get me wrong. Aurora and Akihira right now are just like, like shipping the shit out of that for sure. But at the same time, it's just like him, him being him dying and being resurrected through like Araco. It's just like, he's a different man too. Like he's, He's probably more better equipped. There was like the whole thing was like wrong place, wrong time from both ends. But it's just like this is a much different wild child now too. And, but no, like but goddamn it, the whole uh, with Takahira and Aurora still. It was a whole love triangle thing. I just I did not think I was gonna get hit with this kind of drama at a fucking party like high school. And it just goddamn it, the Hellfire Gala just gave me everything. Yeah, and then we got Empath and Orphan Maker. <laughs> And em- Orphan Maker wants to drink alcohol, and Empath is like, absolutely not. And Empath so is Empath- a babysitter. <laughs> yeah. So Empath has to basically uses his powers to make him feel like he's drunk. Uh-huh. So that's cool. I mean, that's that's actually really nice of him. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's the nicest thing Empath's done, which is kind of not a hard thing to judge, but still. <laughs> um, 
And then uh, Grey Crow meets up with Psylocke, or with Quanon, I should say, which is really cool. And then Wild Child's upset. He wants to drink. And I love the quote. I almost took a picture of it and put it on Twitter. The drink now, every drink. <laughs> like, I, was like, I was like me after quarantine. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we also get Sinister runs into Exodus, which is always interesting. Mm. Um, and then we see Nanny literally pouring alcohol into the hole in her helmet on the top of her head. Yo. <laughs> so. <laughs> I fucking love that Nightwing is super stoked that the Hellions are there. Like he's already, Nightwing is already shit faced. He's already like slurring Hellions. Um, and he's like, he's. Oh, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Yeah. Oh, you said Nightwing. Oh, I was like, Nightwing. Night- Nightcrawler. <laughs> I was trying to figure what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I love that he's. Yeah. He's like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, I, I feel like he's already like thinking of like his own religion way of X thing about the Hellions, about their, their, their whole uh, reforming. Cause he's just yeah. like immediately just curious about them. And then just like hunched over nanny and just <laughs> about talking about the, the talking shit about the three laws. Yeah, exactly. And then Aurora runs into Dawkins and they kiss in front of Wild Child, and, which is great because Wild Child has a really complicated history with Wolverine. Uh huh. And so he's just like, "Bitch, I'll kill you." And I know Dawkins probably like, "I don't know, you're pretty hot too." Like I know he's thinking it. Like, but I'll fight you first. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> like. And then the best part, okay, the best panel, I saw this going around online, is the fight starts. Orphan Maker jumps into the fight saying bananas. Wrestle time? Bananas. And then the best, the best panel, <laughs> Nanny breaking the, bottle, the, the glass <laughs> and saying, guess it's going down. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Judgment day, motherfucker. <laughs> like, it's so good. So they have a big fight, and everybody hates the Hellions, which is great, because that's exactly what it should be like. And Pat gets some shit beat out of him, which is great. <laughs> By Cat's Eye and Roulette. Yeah, that was great. Um, and then Magic teleports them out, basically. So throughout all this, we also get info pages that is the Stepford Cuckoos having a conversation in their heads about it. And it's point out that Mindy thinks Wild Child's hot, by the way. Yes. Uh, so it, I like that he's a murderer. No one told him. No one told his incredible hair. <laughs> like, so, I was like, he does have great hair. So, um, but yeah, basically, like that's what happened. And um, they're all sulking, like they hate it and stuff. And they're like, hey, look at the fireworks, and no one can see the fireworks. And Quanon's like, oh, I realize why. And she she goes into their heads and shows them the fireworks because they're telepathic fireworks. I fucking love that we didn't get to see it. I, <laughs> yeah, I did, I did really love cool. that so much. Yeah. And I also love that Sinister doesn't see it. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> she doesn't trust Sinister. Like, she didn't go into his head. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, the whole thing is he's playing her against the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. But this is like a thing she's siding with the group and not him. Like a little tiny thing. I really like that. Yeah. So. And then it's so good to be home. What are those idiots looking at? <laughs> like so, oh man, the Hellfire Gala is already delivered. And we're only in week one. It's it's so good. I mean, also the whole thing with the info page with the cuckoos. Um, I did like the one joke, like the kind of like the kind of hidden joke about with uh, Phoebe and the dress with uh, Quentin. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody told. Oh yeah, yeah. Nobody told Phoebe. Or Quentin, we're gonna tell Qu- we're gonna tell Phoebe you don't like her dress. It's like <laughs> yeah. oh god no. <laughs> and I like that that came into uh, into the info page. It's like I'm changing <laughs> based on like the the movie reference. Yeah. So <sighs> I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> it was really really good. I really enjoyed it. So <sighs> that's everything for this week in comics. Yeah. Josue, anything else you want to add? Um, one thing. <laughs> you know how I've been saying. Oh, I am. I am reading. I'm finally reading Berserk, finally, which is all. It's, gotcha. it's fucking awesome. 
And you know how I've been like really wanting to read it, but mostly because my partner Soji has just been like haranguing me to finally get onto it so we can finally talk about it together, which is nice. It's it's, it's sentimental. I fucking love the thought. But now, right now, she's reading that giant book Monsters that, that came out. And yeah. she wants me to stop reading Berserk so I can read Monsters now. So it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> No, no, don't get, no I'm, I'm gonna read both of them, but it's like I can't, I can't wait to to talk about it. I, I love that she's actually excited about that book. I, apparently, it's really fucking good. Uh, so yeah, so that's been happening. Nice. Two things: I gave in and started Destiny Volume One, Ooh. Destiny New York Volume One. So oh, okay, nice. Oh shit! I know what happens at the end of this arc. <gasps> no, you bastard! <laughs> I know, and I'm like, I'm trying really hard not to go to Volume Two. I also picked up this, The Trials of Loki. Oh I don't know yeah, if you I saw did see this. that. It's a super size. It's all, it's like almost like mm-hmm. a graphic novel, and it's only eight bucks. And it's the Loki mini uh, from the early twenty tens. I want to say, yeah. And um, it's issues one through four in a single bound volume. So I did pick it up. Didn't want to review it because it's a lot, and also it's not really a new release. But yeah, wanted to give a heads up about that. But the fact so. that it's actually like it's legit, basically a trade. It's four issues. And it's a paperback trade. Like, and, then, yeah, yeah. and then when they do this, it's probably to do a callback or something that's going to, in reference to something that might happen soon. It's kind Hopefully. of a move that Marvel likes to do. So that, that's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us on We Have Issues. Uh, as always, you can check us out on Twitter. For myself, WHI Podcast Keith. For our producer, Liz, at WHI Podcast Liz. For Josue, at Josue Reads Josue. Make sure to check out our sister show, The Jukebox of Vertigo, at Jukebox Vertigo. Uh, our newest episode is up, which is cover songs better than the original. And we also have a, another episode coming up soon to celebrate, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Pride Month. Yeah. Our goal is to make it entirely LGBTQ plus themed. So we'll tell you exactly what that's going to be like once you listen to the episode. But I would tell you, at least all the artists are going to be L G B T or Q. Yes. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, check that out at jukebox vertigo. You can check out all of our shows and all of us at geek elite media, as well as geek elite media.com where you can check out all the other shows that we have. And um, we thank you so much for that. And finally check out this show at W H I podcast on Twitter. Uh, you'll see all the latest updates. I like to retreat all the biggest news, uh, ask some big questions. It's really great. And we're looking forward to seeing you on there. And as always, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, it's nice to know there's people out there that give a shit about what we think, (laughs) even if it's just a little bit. And as always, do not forget to geek out. This concludes our broadcast.